Welcome to the Mad Men Happy Hour, the officially unofficial podcast for Mad Men on AMC. I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. And this week we're covering the season six premiere entitled The Doorway, parts one and two. It's uh, it's split up on IMDb, but it's actually considered one episode by uh, the old wiener himself. So and I think they call did it a, one big episode. I definitely think there's a place where you can see that there could be a break. Um, yeah, but yeah. I also think this feels much more like a arc. Than last year's two-hour premiere premiere did. Sure, sure. That that line is a little more blurred. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and and the themes that carry over from the beginning to the to the second part are certainly pretty solid. Yeah, uh, and we will get deep into those, I'm sure. Yeah, this is buckle up. This might be the longest podcast we've ever done. Period. It could be. I mean, it normally takes us about minute per minute uh, show to podcast to do a recap. Yeah. So we've got a two-hour show that we're staring down the barrel of, plus your feedback. Uh, but luckily, since it's the beginning of the season, not too much of it. Right. Uh, I'm sure that'll pick up. But uh, do what did you think of this episode overall? Man, I I feel like reflexively I just want to throw tins because I'm every time <laughs> I see it, especially coming off like Walking Dead, oh, I'm God. just blown away at the depth of the characters that we've got six seasons on these guys. Mm-hmm. And they can just, like, wind them up and let them play. Like, for example, Burt Cooper coming in to uh, Roger's mother's funeral and saying, these are lovely rooms. Slayed me. <laughs> like, that's shit you yeah. can do when you put in the time to manifest how kind of weird and almost aspy uh, Cooper is. Uh, uh-huh. you, can get a, you can get away with putting in that much humor with almost no investment. And, yeah. you know, finding out that, uh, I mean, just like I said, we're going to get into it, but I, if I, I don't know, man, you seemed like you were a little bit disappointed. I just was giddy that it's back and executing at an extremely high level, both visually, dialogue, thematically, all that stuff. Okay. Do you have a number to stick on that <sighs> description? I'm going to force I, you. I guess I will give it a nine just in case they kill a Lane Price type episode. <laughs> Uh, and, and take it to another level. Okay, fair enough. Uh, yeah, at first I was I was kind of down on the episode. I was uh, I thought it was good, and coming off of like you said, Walking Dead, and getting back into a show that is just leaps and bounds above that, uh, I certainly couldn't have been too disappointed with it. Um, but I felt like at first uh, viewing it was very transparent. Like, Hmm. okay, here's this plot about death and trying to figure out who you are and what you want, never being satisfied. And we kind of talked about this a little bit in our preview cast, but I just felt like it was all laid out there and there was nothing for me to kind of think about and discover in this episode until I thought about it and discovered a whole bunch of stuff that I didn't think about on the first viewing. Well, I was, because I remember us talking about that. You were like, I don't know, there's a lot of surface um, symbolism, which that's, that's the thing that, um, I feel like has been leveled at the show the last two seasons that I've been really paying attention to the criticism of it. And mm-hmm. I, I almost feel like Wiener has heard that and doubled down that this has got layers of surface gloss just thrown onto it. Yeah, Wiener's so throw, Inferno. 
to, yeah, to throw you deep that you get that you have to really work to get to the ninth level of this episode's hell and see how it all yeah. comes together. And now, like I said, I mean, you either like that kind of stuff or you don't. We'll find out which kind of fan you are pretty soon, for um, sure. Yeah, but yeah, uh, I'm. I think I'm the kind of fan who appreciates it, but sometimes I don't want to think about a show that much. Like mm. I think that's one of the reasons that I think Breaking Bad is a better show um, mm. overall because. It's just easier to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, this show is not by any means easy to digest. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the payoff is better in the end than sure. a show like Breaking Bad where you don't have kind of – you have these themes and these ideas behind what the characters are doing, but it's more plot-driven. And in this show, it, there's a plot that stands there to serve the greater themes. And I think that's that's the true beauty of Mad Men is that it's not all about the plot. It's about – what the plot accomplishes as far as storytelling um, and, and and making an audience feel a thing. So mm-hmm. it's a little bit harder to get into, but I still enjoy it. Um, I'm going to give it, on a Mad Men scale, I'd say it's somewhere around a 7. I, I don't think it was the best. It certainly wasn't the worst. Um, somewhere in the middle there, maybe a little bit better than average. Wow. Um, all right, then. But that's a Mad Men scale. I mean, on the Walking Dead scale, this is a 900. Did you did you so. pay attention to anything that I posted to Facebook this week? No, I didn't see anything. <laughs> because I went back and watched the last three episodes to get myself geared up, and I posted I was in violent disagreement of your analysis of Megan and Don's relationship. Oh, yeah. That, like, uh, and I feel like I've been, I was vindicated in this episode. But, yeah, but only like, in the last few seconds. <laughs> but bullshit. That's there again. Surface no. versus deep. I nailed it. Bow down okay. is what I'm so, looking for here. I will say that you did nail the where they ended up, but I think I was on the right track with where they were at at the end of season five because sure. there's there's a interview that I read uh, with Matt Weiner, Matt Weiner, whatever we're going to call him. Uh, for people who don't know and are just joining us for this season, we call him Weiner. We know uh-huh. it's not Weiner, uh, but I was I read an interview with him where he basically said at the end of last season, um, Don kind of felt like he had the second chance with Megan. Uh huh. Sure. Um, and that he was trying to set up this perfect life that he wanted to have with his previous wife Betty, but you know she's a huge bitch and it didn't work out. Mm-hmm. Um, and now he's given a second chance. He was trying to make something of it. Um, and him walking into that darkness ne- wasn't necessarily like him going back to his old ways immediately. It was him kind of searching um, and trying to figure things out. So like. Mm. Yes, I agree. At this point, Don is back to his old ways. Well, I thought that uh, Kimberly G on Facebook had the definitive take on this. She Uh said that in that last episode we're talking about, says, I think the key is this line to Peggy about how you help people and then they leave you. When he watched Megan's screen test reel, he realized he loved her enough to put her happiness above his own. But in doing so, he immediately felt that he'd lost her. And so the question from the woman at the bar about whether he was alone was not so much about his fidelity, but about his psyche. Um, when we know, we know that when Don is in pain, he does not deal with the source. He tries to ignore it or numb it, which is the point of all the business with his tooth in the finale. And one mm-hmm. of the ways he does that is through women. So long story short, I think he, uh, she says, I think he'll be cheating again, but she really hopes they find a way to keep it interesting and not feel like something we've already seen. But so she saw, she thought you were right. And we were both right that at the end of the season, Don is very much in love with her. But he felt that she was leaving him behind. That yeah, yeah. you know he helped her, and now it was her time to leave him. I thought that was pretty hmm. astonishing level of insight. 
Um, and my God, we're already – we haven't got to the episode <laughs> and we're like eight minutes into this podcast. Yeah, we are. This is ridiculous. Okay, let's get to the recap. Uh, we open with um, a death scene, a CPR, um, somebody having trouble with their heart. Uh, we don't we don't really know who it is at this point. Yeah, I, apparently I, we're meant to think that it's Don. I thought it, I actually didn't think it was Don. I thought it might have been Roger again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, given his history, that's a good assumption. Yeah. Um, and have we seen the doorman before? I can't remember honestly. I He's don't. such a nah, minor I, character. I don't. I, I don't know if we have or not. Okay. Um, but we certainly haven't seen Doctor Rosen, so there was really no clue as to where we were. So it right. certainly could have been Roger. Um. And then we go to the beach uh, in Hawaii where Megan and Don are on vacation. Uh, you get a, a simmering shot of Megan's glistening stomach there. Hell yeah, you do. Uh, and her bikini, she's ordering drinks. Um, I'm sure Stan would have loved to be here. Uh, and she's worried about getting too tan because they might fire her. And uh, Don's watch has stopped working, which is, uh, I don't know, interesting. I'm not sure what it means. But I'm sure there's some meaning there. Well, I mean, obviously, um, and I think you mentioned you mentioned an interview that uh, the Wiener had, where he mm-hmm. intimates that this Dante's Inferno is one of the keys to understanding this episode, if not the whole season. Yeah, and yeah. we also saw last season there was a lot of satanic type of imagery. We we saw that the you know we had some several freeze frame analysis where Don almost stepped in that bottomless pit. And there mm-hmm. was the number 666 framed uh, prominently behind his head. Now yep. we're reading about Dante's Inferno. Um, interestingly enough, uh, you know, that's a, a book about a guy going through different levels of hell and then coming through paradise. I wonder if, you know, they even say as much that this is paradise. If the middle half of the episode is Don's going through purgatory and then we end up with him being in his own personal hell towards the end of the episode. Because I did uh, did some research in Dante's Inferno, and he depicts hell, the deeper you get, the colder and more frozen it is. Hmm. It's like unending ice assaulting you. It's not the traditional Christian concept of hellfire. Uh, and that suits with the um, wintry outlook that uh, Don had for his own – being trapped in his own – patterns and also the fact that there was like a mini blizzard going on too <laughs> yeah yeah pretty uh obvious there so i might have to read this fucking book if it is the key to unraveling this entire season um, and it sounds like it is because in that interview um matthew Weiner basically says as much yeah so uh yeah we might have to dig into that <laughs> uh so they go back to the room and lo and behold megan has a couple of joints with her yeah. She's uh, smoking up some, some ganja. No. Tells, uh, tells him that the sex is more intense when you're high. Note but, uh, that yeah. Don still has not spoken a word. Yeah. It takes like eight minutes to get into yep, yep. where Don actually speaks. Uh, he did do the narration. Um, he did the, the reading of the mm-hmm. line from the Inferno, but mm-hmm. he hasn't actually spoke on screen. Um, I, what do you think? Does Megan call these doobies at this point? Is that what she's calling them? I don't know. (laughs) Probably not joints. I don't know. Maybe. (laughs) Uh, So they go to uh, a luau dinner where they've got a couple next to them, and they're kind of eating and talking and watching the show. And um, the guy up on the stage thinks he's funnier than he is uh, with his poi jokes and his Ono jokes. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Not a lot going on there. Megan has a fan. We find out she's achieved some level of fame in the months since we've left them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. She's doing, you know, she has a fan comes up, callers by her name on the show. Well, that doesn't quite happen yet. At first, oh, she gets pulled up on the stage. Yeah. It oh, I thought, you, I thought you were past that part. Oh, no. We still have uh, a little bit left. Um, yeah. So they try to get Don to go up on the stage, and obviously he's Don. He's yeah, like, fuck that. that. <laughs> so, so Megan does. Um, and the Hawaiian Elvish like shows off his moves and is teaching Megan how to do the hula. Um, and then when she comes back, yeah, she's got the the autograph. Um, so we find out that she is a at least somewhat successful actress. I mean, it's we find out that it's a kind of a bit part on the mm-hmm. soap opera, mm-hmm. um, and she's working like one day a week. It's it's nothing too fancy, but she is getting recognized. Sure. Um, they go back to the room. And Megan and Don finally do smoke the joints and uh, have a little sex, have some fun time. Don's still not speaking. Still not speaking. Um, he can't sleep later on in that night, and uh, he goes down to the bar, where he says his first word of the episode when he meets uh, a GI who's going to be married in four hours, and the guy asks Don to give the bride away. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really like this scene. Um I, Don's clearly, he feels reluctant to talk to this guy, maybe because he's just, the dude smashed and it's pretty obvious, but they kind of bond a little bit over both of them having been in the army, both of them having the same lighter, uh, which we know plays a bigger part in the episode later on. Well, I also think it just, it's kind of surreal for Don. In fact, I feel like this whole episode sets kind of the surreal tone. He's not speaking, it's throwing us as the audience off guard. Um, you know, he mm-hmm. goes on about the odds being higher surviving if you're married. Well, we know the real Don Draper was married to Anna and he didn't survive the war. The unmarried shif- shifty guy, Dick Whitman survived. Yeah. Um, you know, he's talking about, Hey, you know, what goes around comes around one of these days, I'll be the guy who can't sleep and talks to strangers, which mm-hmm. like, it almost like blows Don's mind. Like this guy unintentionally pegged him. <laughs> yeah. and yeah. you know uh all, maybe all he'll this, be an ad man <laughs> and uh, yeah he's like he's almost like hey you know it'd be great if i could steal your identity it's, it's like so many parallels to his own journey with this guy that i think he just can't help but get sucked along into his plans yeah and there's potentially i i did read uh Seppenwald's review of this as well after you suggested it um potentially there's the idea that he does not have his own lighter. He's got the lighter of Don Draper. Yeah, I want to talk, save that to talk about later because I've got a bit to, okay. to say about that. Um, yeah, I'll say that I liberally cribbed from Seppenwall's review because he had a whole week to think about it. Uh, who yeah. he liberally cribbed from Dan Feinberg. And also Molly Lambert uh, is an awesome writer on Grantland, and she's doing a hmm. fan-fucking-tastic job of recapping this as well. Um, I pulled uh, some of the – you know, it's hard to tell – after you've read this and it's kind of stewed, what's your own thoughts? What's people that have read? But I want to give credit where credit's due. These are people that have inspired me. Plus, we had some solid analysis on Facebook. I haven't read any of the feedback. I've let you process the, the mail. I've got two or three things I want to read off uh, Facebook. But mm-hmm. okay, ah, again, it's nice to have a show that rewards you actually thinking and talking about the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Other than just saying, oh, that was neat. Yeah. Uh, 
something I did find neat, though, is this next scene uh, where Megan wakes up and finds Don on the beach uh, in private, or I'm sorry, private first class, Dinkins' wedding. Uh-huh. Uh, there's just, this shot of the hotel is fantastic. The inside oh, yeah. of that room with the, the scene outside, yeah, uh, the beach outside, it's just a beautiful shot. And I, the period stuff really does it for me. Like, just seeing where, like, where do they get all this old furniture and stuff, you know? I know, right? Like, where, it's in good shape. So, it's not like they just went yeah. to Goodwill and got stuff that's all cigarette burned and shit. And the detail is so perfect. It's yeah. Nothing is out of place. Yeah. Uh, I just not really love point. that shot. Good point. Um, not too much there. I think Megan is... I, do you think Megan's pleased to see Don doing something kind of out of the ordinary for oh Don? Oh, my God. I feel like Megan's pants status were charmed off in this scene. Okay. When Good, she found it, too. Because like, she's kind of like, you know, one of those things where I'm sure in the back of her mind, she's like, oh, God, I woke up. Don's not here. You yeah. know, she seems pretty self-assured with his love. But then she goes and stumbles on it, and he's doing something incredibly sweet. He's standing next to a GI. She knows he's a former GI. He's clearly giving away this uh, this this woman. I feel he's like, clearly not the groom here. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. I, I feel like, yeah, her her pants thoroughly charmed off. Yeah. OK. Uh Someone who's not nearly as charming is in the next scene, <laughs> Betty Draper. And uh, Battle Axe Pauline. <laughs> yeah, Bluto, as a Sally Bluto, likes to refer right, to I her. Uh-huh. Uh, Bluto, Sally, Betty, and someone we don't know yet, but her name is Sandy, yep. uh, are watching the Nutcracker at the mm-hmm. theater. Um, they are passing around candy, and Betty's the only one not to eat any. And then they head home, and they get pulled over. Uh, Bluto tries to play the do you know who I am card, but of course that does not work as Yeah, you have to be a little shouldn't. bit a little bit more famous than the mayor's political <laughs> campaign manager. Probably. Yeah. Especially when you're dealing with a state trooper. Yeah, and I, I like what Henry says later on in the episode that that barely even works for me. <laughs> you right, know, he is right. the actual guy. Right. It barely works. Um, the really, really hilarious joke here where, uh, Bluto says, oh, things couldn't get any darker. <laughs> Sandy pipes up, my mom's dead. Yeah, that was, that was <laughs> That cracked funny. me up. Also, what the hell is with her mood swings? She went from trying, she went from angry at this officer to, like, when Sally said cops suck, she's like, they're just trying to do their job. And then yeah. she kind of looked like she covered and she's like, well, what, what could make this evening worse? This is, this ruined everything. This can't get darker than this. I'm like, Jesus Christ, lady. <laughs> Yeah. Isn't isn't she the one that takes like the fucking uh, whatever the sixties equivalent of Prozac? We actually had a discussion about what antidepressant she's on. Maybe she needs uh-huh. to up the dose because she's all <laughs> over the fucking map. I guess, man. And it doesn't seem getting a ticket is not particularly dark. No, there are certainly worse things that could happen to a person. Yes, but she just yeah, she's not happy about you could it. Have, one you day. could have to wear a fat suit for two seasons. <laughs> <laughs> or you could have to wear a pink muumuu <laughs> or a pink muumuu yeah oh that thing is terrible but it's yeah. back it's uh-huh. back this episode um when they get home the uh, henry and the boys are waiting for him uh sally tells henry about the ticket and uh sandy plays the violin and she's very good at it she's apparently going to juilliard pretty soon yeah what do um, you think about fucking bobby draper Little, I mean, he's he's given Glenn a, a run for his creepy money, isn't he? Giving Glenn a run for his creepy money? Yeah, Sally's creepy boyfriend, the one that wanted a lock oh. of Betty's hair. Is he? 
Why do you that, say that? I didn't uh, he, get creepy vibe from him. Well, I think he kind of was perving on Sandy here, and then he's like <laughs> wanted to wanted to touch his violin case because it reminds me of a coffin. What? I, I didn't catch that. You didn't hear that? He goes, no. yeah, I, I like the case. It looks like a coffin. I feel like we're going to see him burning oh, a cat my. to death later on this season. That's horrific. Yeah, I couldn't get much darker than that, right? Glenn was creepy camouflaged. Bobby Draper's the real deal. <laughs> He's a psychopath. He even so looks crazy. crazy. Yeah, he looks very uh, Adam's family-ish, doesn't he? Yeah. His haircut, especially. Like he probably laughs like, <laughs> you know, that one of those kids. Yeah. Uh, Betty, it's weird because when uh, Henry asks about what happened, she's like, he was verbally abusive. And I didn't think there was anything verbally abusive about what that guy said to her. No. He basically told her, no. you're driving like a maniac. You need to chill out. Yeah, no, but agreed. I, I don't know. She took it personally, I guess. But God, the hypocrisy here. That guy was verbally abusive. Then what the <laughs> fuck does that make Betty? Because she is a monster. Yeah, he should have. He should have slapped her and then said, "Go to your room. <laughs> uh, go to your daughter's psychiatrist." <laughs> uh. Uh, <laughs> so we get a musical transition here, which was pretty cool, mm-hmm. uh, with the violin music straight to Don and Megan coming back home from their vacation. Yeah, this um, was a trippy scene. This was really weird. I didn't understand it at first, what was going on me here. either. It took me um, to second view, and I figured it out. Yeah, so why don't you explain it, the, the so little scene with Jones? Don and Megan come in, greeted by the doorman. Then we have, and he, the key is pay attention to their clothes. Yeah, sure. They're all bundled up coming in from the trip. Don has a flashback mm-hmm. that goes to the beginning of the episode where he sees the doorman dying of a heart attack. Uh, and then he flashes forward. And their clothes yeah. change back into, uh, you know, in the flashback, they're having a lighter jackets on and the Rosens are with them. Mm-hmm. Then they flash forward, they're back to their bundled up uh, winter clothes. And we see uh, that, this, you know, the doorman saved the script for Megan. So now we're back into the present. But yeah. there's no dialogue. There's nothing to help us appreciate the fact that we had two, <laughs> three time changes in as many minutes. Yeah, there's just the wardrobe. That's pretty yes. much it. Yes, Um and, so and they don't have think suitcases. What do you think that's? Where do you think that's brilliant or stupid? Is you know a matter of taste. I I don't think it was either one. I just thought it was a curious decision. So I I did like how they kind of played with the flashback and and bringing us up to speed on it. Um, because normally when you see something like what happened at the beginning of this episode, where you don't you're not really sure what took place or where it was, and then they usually just weave that back into the timeline by jumping backwards a whole bunch mm-hmm. and leading up to it and then showing that again in this mm-hmm. they actually jump forward then jump back to that and jump forward again it was just an interesting way of doing it i guess yeah uh, and you're right it was like it was kind of easy to miss okay this is what happened uh but i think if you get it it works mm-hmm. um yeah so he gives him the script then we go back to uh betty who's in bed with francis this is another scene. These two scenes back to back confuse the crap out of me. Uh huh. Because first I, you got the flashback, flash forward. I think they're intentional. I think you, they're you're intentional. probably right. They're, they're fucking with us. We're we're supposed to have this similar kind of experience that Don's having. So this is a scene where Betty's making the rape jokes about Sandy to yeah. Henry in bed. Uh, in bed. The, this is so weird. Um, 
apparently, okay, so I was reading the interview that I was talking about, and this interview, by the way, is on thedailybeast.com, um, and it's just an interview with Matt Weiner. Uh, they asked him the question, like, what was the deal with this scene? Um, and he basically said that this was supposed to be kind of the the freeness with which she jokes about this and the kind of genuineness of her personality here is supposed to mean that she's really happy with Francis here, with Henry. Okay, I'll buy uh, that. It's supposed to be she's totally comfortable joking around with these very dark subjects that she thinks about with this guy. Um, I totally would not have gotten that had I not read the interview with him. Uh, I honestly didn't know what to make of it. I just well, was really creeped out. I think it works on several levels because, number one, you know, Betty's always been the younger woman with Don, certainly yeah, with yeah. Henry. She got left for the younger woman. Um, you know, it's it's weird that, like, on back-to-back uh, – <laughs> my back-to-back Sunday entertainment of Game of Thrones and Mad Men both featured weird, elaborate rape scenarios put forth by the female – relationship interest about a younger <laughs> a much younger inappropriate woman it's it's kind of surreal um, yeah i was thinking the same thing but then she's also like well you know henry apparently has asked to spice things up in the bedroom so i thought yeah. this was you know an that's probably not what he has in mind raping no, underage God, girls no but i'm just saying <laughs> that I, I feel like it works if you know who betty is and also, maybe we're seeing a side of this kind of, like, humorous, playful side that we never really get to see her with Don because she felt like she had to be the perfect Grace Kelly-type princess with him. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's essentially what Matt Wiener was going for. Yeah, so. I will say that the I just the, it. The, Dre, the Francis household does seem, on the whole, more happy and relaxed than it, I've ever seen it. Oh, and I think that has a huge part uh, to do with Henry himself. Yeah. I mean, Henry is a much more I, – I don't know if he's more fulfilled necessarily, although I think this episode suggests in a lot of places that, yes, he is. Um, but he's all around just a nicer, more friendly guy. He's not a giant hole of need that Don is. Yeah, yeah, well put. Um, so after those uh, creepy comments, we go back to Don, who's complaining about the maid leaving the door open while they were gone. Uh, and Megan, who's complaining about only getting one scene in her latest script. She's afraid they're going to cut her out. She is. She's worried. Uh, I, I'm i curious. So how far did we jump ahead? Like eight months or so? About. I mean, because the, the ending was sometime shortly after the spring, Christmas. Spring of, yeah, spring of 60, 67. Yeah. Or 68. Yeah. No, it's uh, 68 now. So. Yeah, so is, is the spring is no it, well, yeah, it it's turns 68 it. yeah, so it's, at it's the spring. end of this episode. Yeah. So basically we skipped over and I did a little research on the timeline. Uh we we missed the summer of love which yeah, yeah. you know that was constantly being referenced about the dirty California hippies and all that kind of stuff. But um, happened on the opposite coast, so it's not Yeah. Not a but huge but loss. we are we are primed for 1968 which all kinds of shit happens. Uh Yeah. You know, MLK assassination and uh, Robert Kennedy assassination, the Vietnam war really uh, heats up and the public starts to turn against it. We got some major societal upheaval, which we actually see quite a bit of that in this episode, just kind of like out there in the open, uh, which we'll be get to here pretty soon. Um, okay. So, yeah. 
All right. Um, we go back over to the Draper, or I'm sorry, to the Francis household, um, where Sandy's downstairs smoking like a chimney in the kitchen, and Betty comes sleep, down. She couldn't sleep over all the hushed conversations regarding her own rape. <laughs> yeah. Paper-thin walls in that house. Yeah. <laughs> it's really creeping me out, Ms. Draper. I had to come smoke a cigarette to calm my nerves. Yeah. Um, oh. So, But not a problem for Betty. Betty comes down, sees a 15-year-old smoking cigarettes. Not a problem. No. Uh, which it, it, I understand. It's it's the time, and it's, you know, Betty's a little older. That's kind of acceptable. Not only that, but I think Sandy is who, I mean, Betty wishes she was that talented and wishes oh, sure. she could reclaim her youth and potential and, and you know, and, and sees Sandy. I think that's why she's increasingly bizarre quest to try to redeem her is because it's kind of like uh, something she's trying to redeem herself. Yeah, um a lot of that is mentioned in that interview as well. Um, it's basically uh, has to do with how Betty sees herself. Mm-hmm. Um, she kind of still sees herself as like Sandy um, yeah. with all all this potential and could do all these great things um, and doesn't really see herself as being old, I guess. Like, like Roger is kind of the opposite of this, right? He knows right. that he's got not a whole lot of time left. Right. Um, and he sees things slipping away, whereas Betty wants to not see that. Um and there's as we get deeper into the episode, there's kind of this moment of realization where she understands that people don't see her the way that she sees herself, mm-hmm. um, especially when she gets into the village. That that's basically what that whole sequence is. Oh yeah. Um, but she's it, but in the scene, Betty's got her hideous pink moo moo on, mm-hmm. uh, which I just laughed hysterically when I saw that. <laughs> she's still in it, and she's not quite back to thin Betty yet. She's yeah. not fat Betty from last season. She's definitely she's chipping not away. Regular Betty. Yeah, uh, they still had a suit on her of, of sorts, didn't they? Uh, yeah, I've heard that it's better this season. I got low def, so it's it's always I've not had a problem. Oh. But but because I guess it's smaller, it's easier to to blend in the seams and whatnot. But uh, yeah. and again, before anyone gets a pitchfork and torch, uh, I think Betty is you know I think she's still a beautiful woman. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. you know she's. <laughs> I, but, if not, if not on the inside, at least the outside. <laughs> but but the pink moo moo is not fucking helping. Of course uh, not. And number two, it's not so much about what I think about uh, Betty's body as what Betty thinks about Betty's body. Yes, far so, more important. Yeah. Uh, no mention of whether or not she's. Well, we don't know if she's still going to her meetings, right? No. We know that she is still dieting. She's lost um, weight. Yeah, she's still. She has meals. lost weight. But we don't know if she's still going to meetings. Um, but we don't know that she still needs to go to meetings. Right. She seems much happier now. Um, she tells Betty that, or sorry, Sandy tells Betty that she didn't get into Juilliard, um, and that she doesn't want kind of the life that everyone else has. Uh, instead, she wants to go live in Greenwich Village. Um, Betty says that she can't, and she tells her that she's talented. Yeah, and I thought there's a couple key things in here. Number one, um, when... Betty called her about lying and kind of excused it, and then she came up with a far superior lie she could tell people, and Sandy shot yeah. back. It's amazing how fast some people come up with lies. It, that's kind of interesting to track her personal trajectory from you know being completely falling for all of Don's lies to then being outraged by how effective a liar he is to now she's kind of learned from the master – uh, and also, mm-hmm. just how fucking naive Sandy comes across. 
Especially when later in the episode where she's like, I went to St. Mark's place and kids are just living and it's beautiful, which I thought, especially seeing how we see this later. Yeah, the flop is like mind boggling. Yeah, this isn't something she saw in a magazine. She actually saw that and described it as beautiful. That's how bad she wants to escape being Betty. <laughs> well, and, and I, I can't that, blame her there. I don't think that feeds back when when Betty comes and sees that it feeds back into her that that's like, wow, this is a statement about me and my life that this this talented, yeah. smart, intelligent, beautiful young woman would go do something like that to herself and reject my stability to avoid ending up like me. Yeah, and it obviously strikes a nerve because I mean, she comes back with the the I wouldn't call it brown, I'd call it black. Most people are saying brunette, but that's really dark. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we'll talk about it later. Uh, Peggy and Abe, the first we see of them, they get home from their meal. Uh, I thought she'd broke up with that dude. I thought it was a totally different dude until about halfway through the episode. <laughs> oh, really? No. He looks so welcome. He, he was so... He looks crazy. Uh, yeah, between him and Ginsburg, they looked so <laughs> welcome back, Carter. Or Cotter. <laughs> Ginsburg's mustache is what gets oh, me, man. Oh God, yeah. The hair I could live with. The mustache. Ugh. Yeah, but no, I was like, I can't believe that they're still together. But on the other hand, it looks like that they've really fallen into a nice pattern of him Definitely. enabling him enabling her his sociopathic work behavior and uh, uh, yeah. incredible work hours and uh, supporting her that. enabling him to take a massive dump in a bathroom. <laughs> I, I do love how comfortable they are in their relationship. <laughs> yeah, she's just like, don't talk. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm yeah. on the phone. It's, don't talk from the Don't bathroom. ask me to do math now or ever. <laughs> uh, uh, also, what you, I'll tell you what. I was yeah. rolling when she corrected the dude from uh, from uh, Burt Peterson, the old dude from Sterling Koo. Uh, I love how she corrected him on the DEF CON. Right yeah, on the yeah, heels yeah. of last week's one of the Walking Dead guys uh, correcting my yeah. ass on the same thing. It <laughs> yeah, was surreal. I, I definitely noted that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, let's talk about the, the phone call, I guess. Peggy gets a call from Bert, who's uh, one of her coworkers, informing her that Koss, who's a client of theirs, the headphone manufacturers, wanna, want to change their ad because of some comments that a comic made on The Tonight Show. Um, and she doesn't mm-hmm. understand. Like, she, he doesn't explain the problem very well. He's kind of drunk. No, not uh, at all. Yeah, so she doesn't really get what's going on here. I, I did not. Um, I did not realize this at first. I picked it up from listening to Seppenwall's podcast. But this guy was an old ad guy from Sterling Koo. He was their. I ad thought ex- I heard that. Yeah, he was. Between, I guess he was the guy that took over after Duck, and then he was fired when uh, the Brit- when Lane Price came over and the British Empire started ruling. Huh. Um, so yeah, yeah, I didn't remember him. But nice, nice uh, continuity. I mean, it's this seems like an old boys' club where. You just—it's a revolving door. You're just going to go from ad agency to ad agency. Yeah, who's the guy who uh, joined up with the Harry Krishnas? He did the same thing, right? He kind of rolled downhill through all the ad agencies before he finally ended up with the Krishnas. Yeah, that's not Harry Crane. It's—I know who you're talking about. He was one of—he was the possibly more douchey version of Harry. <laughs> yeah. Then he got fired. Keep going. I'll, and he I'll... wrote the Star Trek episode. Yes, yes. That he yes, wanted yes. Harry to give to people. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll uh, uh, keep talking. I'll look it up. Because people, right. I did. You know, I, I did I know notice people that, are screaming uh, at us right now. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. Um, I did notice that there's a picture of JFK on the wall. No. And wait, wait, wait. He's like named after the sex. He's Kinsey, right? Kent. You might be right. 
I'll, I'll keep looking up, but anyway, keep talking. Okay. Um, there's a picture of JFK on the wall, which uh, I don't know. That obviously Abe's contribution to the decor in Peggy's apartment. I don't possibly. Think I don't Peggy think had that before. I mean, I'm always amazed that anybody is that cares that much about politics. But then I was out with our friends in. Uh, staying with a friend in Denver who's a young couple, and they had a prominent picture of Barack Obama. I'm like, oh, okay, well, I guess it's not Did that they? weird. Mm-hmm. I didn't even notice. Okay, yeah, They had like a Yes, We Can poster or something. Huh. All right. Uh, anyway, let's uh, move on to the next scene where Don is uh, headed back into the office for the first time since getting back. Paul Kinsey. In- that's his name. Paul Kinsey, yeah. Uh, and he's in the elevator, and uh, Dr. Rosen walks in, who we probably recognized from the opening scene, if, sure. if not a blurrier version of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he asks Don about uh, the camera that he wants, I guess, because uh, they're doing an ad for Leica, um, and they get a whole bunch of samples. Um, Don offers to give him one. I wonder I wonder if the uh, campaign was, do you like a Leica? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I hope not. I think Don can uh, be better. Yeah, I was going to say. Uh, that sounds like something one of Peggy's underlings would come up with. At last, something truly beautiful you can like. A... <laughs> <laughs> uh, so when they when they later on were talking about uh, heart transplants and stuff, I went and I looked up this Rosen guy. He doesn't exist. He's just a oh, character in this okay. show. Uh, I was hoping that, oh, maybe this had some tie-in with... The first heart transplant. He was or whatever, the first but, American, yeah, transplant. Yeah, didn't not true. Didn't pan out. Um, just total total character there. Um, if you really want to know, Christian Bernard was the first guy to perform a heart I transplant. I did. I was I was googling <laughs> it right now. Okay. <laughs> um, so not a lot to talk about there. When he gets into the office, um, or sorry, no, we've got to go over to Roger, who's talking to a shrink here, uh, in probably. One of the oh defining scenes of the episode for him. This certainly. is such a brilliant device having Roger in therapy. I love it, yeah. And especially with the therapist who won't laugh at his jokes. Yes, it's so <laughs> That's great. even better because everyone else is so charmed by Roger. And this guy is too, but he's paid to not really give in to that. Yeah, and he's just like, he. I feel like he's just doing, this is improv for him. He's just doing yeah. a routine. Yeah. But then they Good then stuff. that's my first impression. But then they start mixing in some realness, you know. Oh, definite realness from Roger here. Um, even though he may not necessarily acknowledge how much it uh, it kind of means to him at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, but basically, he's continuing the journey of self discovery that he embarked on last season with his LSD trip. Um, he's talking to a psychiatrist, and um, he basically says that. There's life is a series of doors and they all open the same way and then they all close behind you and they never change you, um, which I think is actually pretty fitting at the end, which I'll talk about. So then we go over to Peggy, who shows up at the office where she's working. Um, I don't know the name of this firm. Do you? Uh, it's I think it's CGC. It's something something. Chaw. OK, uh, yeah, CGC. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, but she's basically treated to a really shitty recap of what went on on the Tonight Show the night before. Was that not bizarre? Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, I get they didn't have DVRs or VCRs back then, yeah. but the, really you have to have some dude come in and reenact the, the stand-up for you? 
I get. And who was this guy? Was he just some guy off the streets? No, I think he was. Did uh, he actually work there? Yeah, surely. I when when she says go home, I don't think she was literally telling him to go home. I think that she was telling him to like, okay, it's done. Go back to what you were doing. Yeah, I thought she literally meant to go home. So I assume that guy <laughs> didn't work there, but uh, whatever. <laughs> It doesn't really matter, ultimately. Um, <laughs> Bert seemed to crack up. He loved the jokes. Oh, yeah. They weren't bad. I, I thought no, they, they were I, they're actually laughing, and I wasn't even sure of the cultural context in them. So. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about that. Um, I don't know how much you know about Vietnam. I did uh, a little research on it. I hear it's a war. I hear that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, so I... Looked up the I'm necklace of earrings. I'm familiar with the memoirs of, of a private gump. <laughs> Are you? Good yes. stuff. Yeah. Uh, I looked up the necklace of ears, and apparently that's a real thing. Yes. That happened. Yes, um, it is. And obviously, we know Mad Men likes to draw on the real events to kind of uh, have this background conversation um, and kind of spur on the events that happened in SCP. It just shows it's it's funny how like it just shows you know because I'm I'm actually vaguely pro military, um, mm-hmm. but it shows the difference in now versus then. Kind of like you know when you see Don just casually littered, it's like whoa, we're, we're casual racism. Like what the fuck? <laughs> that uh, like how much outrage is about our GIs cutting people's ears off and wearing them as necklaces, and then flash forward uh, thirty forty years and you know. G- GIs like posing people and hoods and with the things and burning their holy books and flushing them down the toilet, stripping it's like, down and waterboarding and yeah, it's like there's like a very this barely moves the outrage meter. I mean, you do have definitely partisan outrage, but not a national one. I just feel like Vietnam was one of the ways America lost its innocence because before then it was all World War Two and we're kicking the fucking Nazis ass and. Yeah. You know, now we're just, as a country... There was a much, righteous cause for everything. We're much more jaded. Yeah. Uh, but also much more sensitive in other areas. It's kind of... It's, it's We're a weird country. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, did you... I don't know if I saw the same feed that everybody else saw on cable, but did they mute the F-bomb when Peggy says it here? She says, like, fuck the Tonight Show, and they just muted it completely? Do what? Peggy in this scene says, fuck the Tonight Show. Oh, yeah. No, they did this three separate times. The- there was like, I, I started calling them in my notes neutron F-bombs. Because Wait, they- <laughs> multiple times? Yeah, there was three separate occasions where someone said the F-word in this episode that they dropped the audio on. Where were the other two? The hippies did it uh, in the uh, flop house, <laughs> and uh-huh. there was one other. I, I've got them noted in my notes. Like I said, I, I called them okay. neutron F-bombs because they had yeah. – it wasn't any – it was just – you know, it was none of the fiery destruction. It was like a neutered version of the <laughs> F-bomb. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, I thought that was weird. I'm like, how did Wiener let them get away with muting that? Normally he doesn't, right? No, I think they're They'll allowed give one, him like one they're, F-bomb. They're allowed out. one a season, and he that yeah. wasn't enough for him, so he's like pushing the envelope. Well, the envelope was muted in this case, <laughs> unfortunately. I'm sure you'll see it on DVD. Uh, so we go back to Don, who's once again in the elevator, and this time we see Bob Benson walk in with a couple cups of coffee. Uh, apparently he's from accounts. Uh, I'm not even certain that he works for the firm at this point. <laughs> like, he seems so disingenuous, and yes, he gets called out later by Ken, uh, which I was happy to see. 
But he's basically trying to charm Don here. It's definitely not working, though. And he he does accept a coffee from him, though. So the guy's we- weaseling his way in at least a little bit. Yeah, this guy. Ah, oh, man, I just don't <laughs> I don't know. Like he's his. It's so transparent. Is he, uh, where yeah. is this guy's art going to take him? He seems so fucking annoying. I don't want to see any more of him. I I kind of like his place in this episode. Honestly, I did. Yes, I think he's kind of annoying. I think he's supposed to be, um, so that he can get called out later by Ken. Uh, I actually thought he was kind of fun to watch. Honestly, hmm. just just knowing that there's something wrong about this guy, something is not on the up and up here, uh, and I want to find out what it is. Hmm. So didn't have a problem with him. Okay. Uh, so Don walks into the creative team's bunker. Where they're smoking weed. Everybody seems to be smoking weed this episode, including Don himself. It's just, this is the first season there's a huge difference between the creative staff and the executive staff. Yeah, that's a good point. Like season one, you couldn't tell the Harry Cranes and the Paul Kinseys and the Don Drapers apart. Now, Don looks like a suit. We got a little bit of this last season when he went (laughs) to that concert, when he was trying to sign up. Was Was it the Doors or the Who? Uh, or some uh, Rolling Stones. Yeah, that's right, Rolling Stones to sell some beans, and now it's just like blatant. The counterculture has come to stay. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was really cool to see. And he looks like a man, dinosaur. Stan is looking crazy, right? Oh, loving the beard, man. Loving the <laughs> he's beard. got a glorious beard, uh, and he's he's gotten a little crazier too. I don't know if it's because he's like uh, more comfortable with his position in the firm or what, but uh, he's got some balls on him. I, I mean, know. he always kind of did. I mean, but it was mostly centered around Peggy, right? Yeah. I don't know. I just thought I, I was impressed with the Ginsburg. I mean, he eviscerated that poor woman <laughs> for nothing. And she just seemed like this must be an everyday abuse because she didn't even bat an eyelash at it. Yeah, yeah. I imagine this this uh, conversation they've been having, this argument has gone on for like two hours. Mm-hmm. They've just been yelling back and forth, yes, you can sit a baby on your lap. <laughs> yeah, right. No, you <laughs> couldn't. What is their plane wrecked? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they ask him about his vacation and if he got any information that they could use to create an ad for the Sheridan uh, Hotel Company, who is the one who sent Don on this trip sure, uh, for that express purpose to kind of have that experience. Um, and they're apparently coming in on Friday. And so Don says he had an experience, but he can't put it into words. Right. Which doesn't help Stan. Not at all. Uh, but he does get a good joke in there about uh, the experience being Megan in a bikini. <laughs> Pretty good stuff, Stan. Rockin'. Um, we go over to the staircase, the new staircase mm-hmm. in the SCDP office. They now Which- have... To give, you an, to give you an idea of how crazy fucking Matthew Weiner is on spoilers, that was one of the things he specifically said that reviewers are not allowed to reveal. A how staircase? Many fl- how many floors <laughs> that S- SDCP or SCTP had at the time, and they, he, they couldn't talk about a staircase because that would reveal it? I mean, that's insane, right? The it man's a totally crazy insane. person. Yeah, completely. Uh, but he makes some good television. He so does. We That's, forgive it. Sometimes a madness is required. Yeah. I tell you what, though, Don is one fucking hell of a secretary. 
Oh, she's like an very off- confused when you said that. Yes, D A W N is one hell of a secretary. Dawn. Yeah, I forgot we we're going to call her Dawn. Dawn <laughs> yeah. is a hell. Of- she's like an office ninja. She's like, yeah. here's all your shit together. And by the way, I didn't schedule anything in the morning because her pl- flight might be late. I mean, she's on. Yep, you've point. already got your coffee. She was going to have that for him. Best secretary he's ever had, right? E- oh, easily. Head yeah. and shoulders above. Yeah, uh, except for maybe Megan. I mean, no, Megan wasn't that great. Uh, but, but he ended up marrying her. Shit, Come on. He, he fucking nailed her three episodes after getting her assigned to him. So how That's would we what even I'm saying. Know? Best secretary ever. <laughs> uh, uh, something tells no, me t- that old Dawn ain't a slouch in that department either. I think she's a she's a looker. Yeah. All right. Uh, so Don kind of walks in on the photo- the portraits that they're taking. Um, the photographer's got rapey peed up on the stairs. Looking ex- oh, extra I, rapey. I have to say that every time you call him Rapey Pete, which is, by the way, trademark of the Mad Men recap podcast, uh-huh. uh, I have to throw in the words and future child molester. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll stick with that. Um, so he's looking extra rapey and molestery, I guess, mm-hmm. with his new sideburns. Um, even Pete's getting down with the, the 60s, the late 60s here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Don chats briefly with Roger while Joan's having her picture taken, and uh, Pete immediately bugs Don about business. Oh, brilliant. God, this is so brilliant. Yeah, he's not interested at the moment. He said, and and the, Don's like, it seems like every time I get back to holiday, you jump me on business. He goes, well, that's because I've spent every holiday waiting on work for you. And then Don yeah. walks away, goes, and then you walk away from me, and then you take a nap. <laughs> and it's like they know each other so well, and Don doesn't give a shit. I'm glad doesn't Don doesn't give a shit. Oh no, yeah, he's earned it. Come oh, on, yeah, he built that company for the most part. Yeah, P can't touch him. No, takes no. more than a child rapist to take him <laughs> on down. <laughs> uh, I am really curious about Pete's status at the moment with SCDP what because we know last season he was on fire. He was bringing in all the contracts that were supporting the business. All right. Um, he had just brought in Mohawk, which was going to be a huge one for them. Mm-hmm. And other companies were noticing him too. So I have a feeling that within the next episode, uh, we're probably going to get a closer look on uh, how Pete's doing in the organization. How much real power has he amassed? It's only been this. Yeah, is we, he still a junior partner? Even, yeah, it's only been know? six to eight months, man. That's that's one of the problems I have with this timeline is like, mm-hmm. so everyone decided as soon as last episode aired, we're gonna fucking grow long hair and beards. <laughs> yes, like everyone summer love happened. It's like we, you know, there's not a beard. There's not a beard and reefer in this office. It seems like. It felt like more of a year and a half jump, even though the chronology explicitly says it's not. Yeah. So. I think really Abe's the only one who I would say, eh, he probably didn't have enough time to grow that hair. I'm just saying it's weird that everyone decided to do it simultaneously. Sure. Definitely. Uh, except for Joan, who's looking Joan as usual. Sure. Joan uh, Nothing wrong with that. Nope. I very uh, got got a severe thirst for Johnny Walker. <laughs> While I was watching this episode too, so like I decided, like ah, oh, it's been it's been a while since I've had Mister Walker in my life. I don't, I yep. can't explain it. Um, <laughs> so Harry's the only one not having fun at this uh, photography party here. He walks in and he's obviously annoyed by this whole process. He walks past Joan and practically shoves her down uh, as he does so. Um, I think he's just annoyed that he's not a partner, right? 
Yeah, I mean, he's a joke. I mean, was it two seasons ago, Joan did his job much better than he is. Oh, yeah. But now he's somebody, he also has a superiority complex where he feels like he should have the trappings of all these things, even though he's the probably least accomplished person that we followed as a main character. He's completely a bullshit artist. What? I I don't even know what department he's head of. He's a television guy. Television. Which is super important. Um, yeah, but I just, I just, they've always portrayed him as kind of being a joke. Yeah, that's definitely underachieving. I, I mean, you, mm-hmm. he was handed the television department back when television was kind of in its infancy as far as ad. That was a perfect time to get into it. And yeah. I don't think he's maximized the potential there at all. Hmm. All right. Well, you should write to. Has SPD he got any Super Bowl know. ads booked? I don't think so. Peggy's got Super Bowl <laughs> ads booked. Yeah, she does. Um, so this is something I didn't notice the first time around, but, um, Roger asks about his shoe shiner in this scene, Giorgio, uh, who hasn't shown up Mm. and it makes a lot more sense when you notice that. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, so we go back over to, uh, Don's office when he walks in there, they've rearranged his furniture while he's been gone. He's not too thrilled about that. And he just kind of stares out the window hearing the sounds of the ocean. Mm hmm. Uh, I don't know if he's now back in, uh, his heaven or his hell. It's, I think this is purgatory. We've moved into purgatory. Yeah. This he's is kind of the place in, he's always been and it's not giving him the answers. But, but, but yet it's, it's not, you know, there's a lot yeah. of interesting Seppenwall picked up on some threads of authenticity here. Um, you know, the mm-hmm. fact that they're at an authentic Hawaii luau, but it's obviously fake and put on. Um, Don's asked to here in the next scene, they're telling him to act natural and be yeah. himself, but they've changed his office. It's not really his office. Yeah. And, and he doesn't have his lighter natural, but he's not acting natural. So I feel yeah. like this is the, the, definitely the purgatory part of his, uh, uh, Dante's journey. Okay. Definitely. Um, back at Peggy's office, she's meeting with the guy from Koss. Uh, I don't know this guy's name, so we'll just go with the Koss guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's trying to kind of play off this crisis. Like, okay, we've had the ad out in newspaper or in magazines for three weeks now. It's not a big deal. Nobody's complained. Uh, but the client doesn't see it that way. It's uh, She tries to play it off like it's all in his head. Um, but he doesn't see it that way. And he suggests a change to the ad that Peggy says is a solution, but it totally neuters the joke. Um, and it, it doesn't help create a great ad, even if it solves the problem. Yeah, this guy um, got dawned. He got dawned hard. Yeah, and I actually really love this scene because of that. I mean, the way that Peggy has kind of turned into Dawn um, in some ways, in maybe a happier of version of Dawn. Yeah. Yeah, she doesn't have kind of the neurosis that Dawn has in a, in a lot of <laughs> respects. Mm-hmm. But she definitely has his business talent um, and his talent with dealing with people. I mean, it's something that we've seen – Don kind of falter in a little bit in the past season or so. Um, and he, he kind of wanted to get back on that at the end of last season. I, I kind of feel like he slipped a little bit even in this episode. Exactly. Whereas, exactly. Yeah. Whereas Peggy's the opposite. This this time last season, she had a disastrous client meeting where she tried to don them, uh, but yeah. ended up blowing up in her face. Here she did the full on don and was successful at it. And then Don tried to Don the Sheridan guy and it blew and it blew up in his face. Not to Absolutely. the same extent, but still it's like, yeah, they're on 
different trajectory. She's on her way up, and he seems to still be kind of off off of his game. Yeah, for sure. Um, I do like here being a web developer. I like how uh, the client here thinks that the idea for the first ad just came to her. Like it was super easy, uh, and he assumes that the next change will be super easy as well. Oh yes, uh, I get that a lot in my job. Yeah, <laughs> definitely appreciated it. Cosine. Uh, so we go back over to Don, who is looking over the potential art for uh, Dow Oven Cleaner ad. Uh, so apparently he won the contract with the old Ed Baxter uh, that we saw him fighting so hard for and taking that meeting and waiting forever in the lobby last season. Mm-hmm. I mean, he must have, right? Because that was Dow Corning. Who yeah, we, no, he, he, got a, he, he, he broke off a chunk of uh, Ken's uh, father-in-law's empire, apparently. Nice. I don't know if he's got the the napalm department, but he's definitely got the oven cleaner department. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He uh, may not want the napalm department at this right. particular point in history. Yeah. Um, uh, but apparently Dow has asked for the word love to be associated in these ads. Uh, Don is not down with that ad um, no. or that idea even. Uh, he doesn't like the idea of trivializing the word love um, and, and kind of domesticating it. He wants it to be more exotic. and uh, wants it to keep its juice. Yeah, so he can use it to sell So he can use it to sell pantyhose. Yeah, uh, um, yeah, totally. And then Doctor Rosen shows up, and he's. Oh, I, I also want to just a, a little uh, production yeah. note or a little symbology, maybe. When Don stood up after dismissing his his help to go talk to Doctor Rosen, mm-hmm. his head is like perfectly haloed by this radiant clock design that they have in the wall behind him. Oh, does that have anything to do with his watch stopping earlier? Yeah, I don't. <laughs> no, I think it's just more. It's more uh, kind of uh, a little bit more symbolic of this uh, inferno that uh, he's perhaps some sort of saintly figure that's that's navigating uh, this descent to purgatory and later hell. A saintly still, figure. I mean, he's huh? not saintly, but we we kind of you know it, it's 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 our. I don't know. I'm grasping. I just thought it was interesting. Okay, it's probably a totally <laughs> Dude, random accident. I grasp half of this episode, so <laughs> I'm grasping the be, halos here. Yeah, there will be plenty of grasping on both sides. Uh, and uh, part of that is the fun of watching Mad Men, right? I mean, this show encourages you to kind of try to interpret it and get your own spin on it. And it may not always be right. It may not always be what the creator envisioned. But if it means something to you, I think that's what is important. Speaking so. of hitting meanings, uh, Don and Doc Rosen have basically a heterosexual fuck fest <laughs> right here in front of <laughs> our way, eyes. Yeah. He, so he stops the secretary in the doorway and he just wants to watch yeah. Don in action. <laughs> like he's some beautiful wild animal. Like, look, yeah. honey, a fawn in, in da- <laughs> dappled in sunlight in his natural habitat. Uh, yeah, no, I really like that. Um, and then he even says at the end, you know, at the end of this fuck fest, like, okay, enough flirting. Where's my camera? I'm like, yeah, ah, yeah. this is all about <laughs> lampshading tonight. Definitely. Uh, wasn't there something in Zeppenwall's, uh, review about that? Mm, I don't know. I don't remember. Uh, I feel like there was. I read it. Um, how, how basically Don admires this guy. Oh um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we find out later that he's cuckolded him. So... Yeah, there's this almost like he's trying to overcompensate, and every time yeah, the guy and there's also an associated guilt with it because every time uh, the guy tries to draw equivalence between his real 
uh, white collar heroism and Don's. It makes Don intensely uncomfortable because not only am I not saving yeah. people's lives, but I'm also fucking your wife, dude. Here's your free <laughs> camera. Yeah. The go, the, the, the go, the go with the horns I've, I've put on you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what do you make of Don being so passionate about this idea of not trivializing the word love? Uh, when you could probably say that Don himself has kind of trivialized the word, hasn't he? Uh, I, yeah. And this, yeah, I, I don't know where they're going with that, whether that's uh, an indictment of Don's own work that he's seeing this as kind of lazy and sloppy, but th- th- it's super irritating to him because he's going to become lazy or sloppy. But sometimes I can mm-hmm. never tell in the show whether um, Don's right and the people beneath him are just haven't caught up to him yet or whether you know it's like was is that is he really on point on the ad or is he off point and they're trying to show that he's slipping because sometimes in earlier seasons when it turned out he was brilliant i didn't fully understand it until it was all revealed so but then they've also shown him kind of being tone deaf of late so we're at this weird thing where don still can be the old don but new don is off his game so i'm not sure and there's there's also this disparity between who Don is the person and what he knows um, of what other people feel. Because mm. uh, there, there's very much the Don who it's hard for him to actually feel that love, isn't it? I mean, even with someone like Megan, who is obviously willing to give it, uh, he has a hard time. But yet when it comes to creating ads that revolve around that concept, he knows exactly what the public is looking for and exactly how to push those buttons. Sure. Well, and, you know, I think I feel like he's had a couple of opportunities to have an authentic, you know, whenever he's got a partner that could challenge him, uh, like Dr. Faye Miller, he sabotages it, blows it up, runs away, and then takes the comfortable, safe, easy to impress route, which is Megan. Now, you know, there's an ongoing debate we had of our listeners whether Megan is quote unquote good for Don Draper. Uh, <laughs> apparently, Don is certainly not good for Megan, uh, except yeah. for perhaps getting her professional start. So it's like, ah, uh, that's an open question. What what does Don think about love? I think he wants love. Uh, mm-hmm. That's what made the carousel ad in season one work so bad. You can feel this man aching to go back to that place where the he did feel love and did feel this family connection. He just can't. Yeah, and this Good is point. this is going to go back to, uh, you know, the, again, if you're in the lowest level of Dante's hell, you are frozen in ice. Uh, and this one yeah. re, this one site that I said that uh, that I that I uh, researched and found that described the character stuck on that lowest level as being frozen. They can't. Um, uh, what is it? Uh, yeah, it says that they're, they're frozen deep in ice, faces out, eyes and mouths frozen shut. Um, so it's like they're incapable of showing and displaying emotion. I don't know how much of that is going in the wieners view on this, but, uh, yeah, that's kind of my take on it. Uh, you can also, I mean, think of this as kind of the, the jumping off point to use a phrase from the episode for Roger's story, because up, coming up in a couple scenes, we get, um, uh, we know that a big portion of, um, what Roger is experiencing here has to do with love, uh, both the love from his mother and the love that people feel from, from like real meaningful, deep relationships um, and lasting things that Roger apparently feels he hasn't built. Mm -hmm. Um, And this kind of 
dovetails into that story in a couple scenes here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before it does that, Don takes Dr. Rosen over to the storage room and he grabs a camera for him. And Dawn tells Don that the photographers are, photographers are ready for him. Uh, not too much to talk about there. Uh, he makes Dr. Rosen promise that if he, uh, if he does, uh, perform the heart transplant, gets a magazine article that he'd say it was all due to his like a camera. Yeah. Which I thought was pretty funny. Uh, then we go back over to Roger and he's on the phone with one of his lady friends. One of his um, cocktail waitresses, no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, when his secretary, Caroline comes in crying she tells him that his mother has died, mm-hmm. uh, but Roger is not nearly as affected as she is by it. No. Uh, and he tells her, just go talk to Joan about it. She'll know what to do. Which I guess, did Joan plan that funeral or was that something well, that Roger we'll, did? We'll get to that later because she's strangely AWOL from that part in this whole episode. Um, yeah. I thought the funniest part was when he said, well, how did it happen? She goes, well, he, she had a stroke in the bathroom and you see Roger kind of processing that. And he goes, well, I asked, didn't I? <laughs> So fucking funny. It was. I don't think that was the funniest part. I thought the funniest part of this scene was where he rubs her back with the two glasses. <laughs> <laughs> He's just Roger, devil fisting yeah, vodka. Yeah, putting it to good use. Yeah, hilarious. Uh, but no, you're right. That was really funny, too. Um, yeah, so Roger not broken up by that news, yeah. which we'll, we'll get to later. Uh, Peggy tries to teach Ted, or I'm sorry, reach Ted. On the phone, but he's at some sort of religious retreat, and the pastor there doesn't want to disturb him. And, and uh, another but does very, want to know about the Super Bowl. Another very funny scene and artfully done because we only get one half of the conversation. Yeah, but yet we understand everything that's going on, and it's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, the Super Bowl not a big deal back then, right? Um, I did some research on that too, and apparently it wasn't the national phenomenon it was now but mm-hmm. uh it was already uh, a pretty good draw and increase you know the the ad rev- revenue for those were noticeably higher than the other football games so it was a big deal huh. not like it is now like it's a million dollars a minute or whatever <laughs> okay so still a big deal that she has an ad there mm-hmm. um we go back over to scdp and the photographer is taking pictures of don in his office uh, Don basically feels that this whole thing is super contrived and, uh, the photographer tells him, just do what you do. Just, yeah. uh, like, whatever. So he goes over, he lights up a cigarette and that's what he notices that he does not have his lighter. He's got a uh, PFC Dinkins lighter and then he gets lost in thought, just like the photographer wanted him to. Mm-hmm. Which is another interesting, like you said, treats you on authenticity. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. And then when he snaps out of it, the photographer says, I want you to be yourself. Right. So, yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the groundwork is being laid there and the notes are being played. Um, keep going. Part two. This is kind of the natural breaking point of the episode, I thought. I thought so, too. Um, because part two begins with Megan waking Don as she's about to leave for her acting gig. Who, did you know that Don sleeps like a fucking vampire? I noticed that, man. Who I was sleeps like, like, oh my that? god, is this an allusion to him being dead or something? Are we gonna Yeah, I mean he totally was, was Count Dracula it up. He was. Arms like rigid at his side. 
Uh, I don't know. And the talk about coffins from little Bobby. Yeah. I wonder. I mean, death is definitely the theme for this season, or at least this arc. But Jesus Christ, it was also last year's theme. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe it'll pay off in uh, ways other than a partner dying this time. <laughs> uh, but Megan wakes him up. And she says that she can't make Roger's mother's funeral because she's working all week. So they've kind of hired her for more days a week. She's working, I think, four days a week now. Um, Don gets out of bed. He throws the lighter away. Yep. Uh, Why does he do that? Well, I guess this is as good a point as any to talk about the significance of the lighter. So a couple things. You remember that this is basically the same lighter that led to the death of the original Don Draper. Yeah. You know, the, the, the dick. We saw that flashback. Dropped it, and it caused an explosion. It killed him. And he ends up swapping this lighter with a dude who essentially wanted to swap lives with the current Don. Yeah. Um. So, now, there, there's one level. The other thing is I think that the, as the audience, we're supposed to worry about, well, what if he's got the... Does he have a Dick Whitman light, lighter, or does he have a Don Draper lighter? Yeah, that I was my question. I don't see that as much of a problem because, number one, I think it's obviously he's, that he's got Don Draper's lighter because the guy called him lieutenant. And if his guy is in hmm. rank uh, engraved yeah. in the house, would he know that he was Lieutenant Don Draper and not PFC Whitman? And even if he had PFC Whitman's, like, would that really be a problem? If someone asked Don, Don could say, well, of course I carried the lighter. He died right beside me. It's a memento of blah, 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 blah. I mean, a guy, an experienced mm-hmm. pro-liar like Don, the more I thought about it, the more <laughs> I thought that that is irrelevant. This is not about, oh, my God, people are going to find out that it's Dick Whitman. It's more of this is fucking with Don because okay. it's reminding him of his past and reminding him of the people that died in his place and the fact that this kid is probably going to go off and fucking de- Vietnam and die in some godforsaken rice paddy. Yeah, he continues to survive yeah. and he's a shit. And this is the weight of all the, and he sleeps like a vampire and he washes his feet in the kitchen sink and all of his sins are coming home to roost. So, uh, yes. Uh, so you've got to wonder later he gives this lighter to Don um, and says, try to get Dawn. back to his, uh, yes, sorry, Dawn, uh, tries to, it uh, tells her to try to get it back to him. Um, I got to imagine that he's going to find out that this guy died through that process, right? Probably. I, uh, I by the way, while we're so. talking about the specter of death, I want to remind everyone that uh, Pete's checkoff gun is still cocked, loaded, and somewhere floating around this office. Are you talking about the rifle? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Season seven is, is going to end with Pete going on a rampage after he the cops have narrowed him. Uh, cops are closing in on a child molestation ring. His only way out is to kill everyone at Sterling Cooper Draper Price. <laughs> Oh God! That's my official prediction. Uh, I just, I just hope it's not Sandy. Sandy was too talented to get snared by the clutches of Pete. <laughs> oh God! Uh, maybe I'll go back to that to high school girl that he was trying to get with. Nah, she's too old. She's <laughs> too old. Okay. Uh, yeah. For maximum, for maximum perviness. Uh, we're back in the, the peaceful Francis household with uh, peaceful Sally and peaceful Betty having a chat. Uh, these two really don't like each other. I'm like, I totally understand why, but it's kind of surprising to me how 
motherly she wants to be with Sandy. That's because Sandy is her ideal daughter, and Sally is the weird uh, girl that touches herself and embarrasses her in front of friends and hangs out with creepy Glenn, who reminds her <laughs> of her fucking creepiness. Good point. It's like, and she's got this, and, and she's got that full-on teenager. It's like, she's so stuck up. She acts like she's 25 because she uses tampons, and yeah. she's got that annoying vocal fry. And she's a little shit, too. The way she treated Megan oh, yeah. last, uh, last episode was horrific yeah no i I've, I've had there's at least someone left us an itunes review that said i have an annoying vocal fry do you know what a vocal fry is uh, what it, it, someone said that i have an annoying vocal fry no, which is when it. you got the uh tone in your voice i feel like one of okay. these podcasts i'm gonna do like not, i'm gonna do all the stuff like that I'm gonna <laughs> okay. be like, you, you, you thought i was annoying before now i'm just gonna do nothing but this voice oh boy yeah uh, well, once we start doing video casts, I'm going to wear a pink muumuu. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that'll be my my visual fry. There you go. Your vo- <laughs> and all the vocal fry. We'll, <laughs> we'll have negative views on I- on the YouTube. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about this scene. Sally tells Betty that Sandy left early for Juilliard, and Betty's really upset by that. Yeah. Um, after having this conversation with her where she basically gave her advice not to. Um, she goes into Sally's room and she grabs a picture of Sandy Mm -hmm. and off she goes and we know where she goes, but we'll talk about it when we get there. Yep. Um, back over to Don real quick shot here. He's drinking before the funeral and he's watching the TV (laughs) while the maid vacuum. He is drinking with a purpose. And I thought this scene was such a perfect way to pay this, this pick the state because he's sitting here with a giant drink, glassy eyed watching TV that he can't hear. Yep. Because the maid yep. is vacuuming, and his it's like you can just see his eyes are, like, not focused. He plays drunk, like a function alcoholic, so well. I thought everyone who played drunk in this episode did a good job. True. Uh, Dinkins, he did a fantastic job playing drunk. Nah, he's more annoying. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, like some I people said, are annoying when they get drunk. <laughs> nothing says disasters day drinking ahead, like watching TV <laughs> while the maid's yeah. vacuuming. Uh, fair enough. Um, then we go back over to Roger, who is at the funeral. Uh, he's being admired, I guess, by a couple of his female relatives. Kind of, are they creepily. relatives or are they family friends? I, I was trying to decide whether, the, yeah, are I don't know. To fuck Roger? I don't know. They're it not creepy that much, if they're family. They're not much older than him, though. Probably not a ton older than him. Maybe like 10 years or so. But he wouldn't consider it. You know what I'm saying? No. Like Roger, come on. Look at Jane. I Jane know. walks in and, and the Joan, show's over for them. And all the other 25-year-old cocktail waitresses he's banging. That's just He's like, got them lined up. He doesn't need these I'm wrinkled saying old biddies. It's weird. <laughs> I mean, it's like when you think of it that way, it really is kind of weird. It, yeah. No, you're absolutely right. <laughs> um, one of them who I don't – Hazel Tinsley, I guess, mm-hmm. is her name. Mm-hmm. Uh, she demands to speak first. And Roger kind of poo-poos her. Yeah, whatever. Okay. Uh, and then Jane walks in and rescues him and asks him if he wants his mother's ring back, which he doesn't. He's just, like, eh, they'll just steal it. And this is interesting how casually he throws away a, a family heirloom when we get to see later his his, yeah. his own daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we fucking see a full spread provided by Bob Benson, the SCDP toady. Um, why yep. is this blow up so big? I mean, like, uh, the, like you mean, the, why do they make a big deal of it here in this yeah. scene? Yeah, 
Like I, I get this is first rate brown nosing, but what the hell does? Why are Ken and Pete so pissed off about it? Uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's a a problem that they have because of the era, because of the time. No, I'm um, sure. It's certainly, a, it's I can a, understand trying to horn your business into a funeral. Like yeah, Ken would not be happy with that. I guess. But uh, I, I can only assume that the Bob Benson stuff is going to pay off in a bigger way later on. Yeah, true. And, and these are this is just the cards being set up. I love Pete calling Harry on being such a perv. <laughs> like when it's true when rapist and alleged child molester Pete Campbell calls you mm-hmm. a perv you really need to step back and take a look at your life <laughs> a long hard look at your life yeah Harry. and do it over a bag of 20 uh, 20 sack of white castles after a rolling stones concert <laughs> when you're high in the car because he was totally perving out on those girls at the concert oh god yeah he's a fucking walking horn dog just the worst the worst kind yeah. of horn dog <laughs> yep good stuff um let's see don walks in at that point um, and he's super drunk and he tries to play it off, but he fails. I mean, mm-hmm. I, you can obviously tell, uh, Ken asks Pete and, and Don as well. If their mothers are still alive, Pete says, yes, Don just says, I'm going to yeah, go the, watch the last there. thing Don wants to do is talk about either of his mother figures. <laughs> yeah. And especially with dudes from work, you know, I mean, he wasn't happy having them for a surprise birthday party. Uh, oh season. god no yeah he, he's not going to get all personal with him here hell no hell no uh so roger walks up uh to the front of the the audience there and begins speaking but he's interrupted by hazel tinsley and also his ex-wife with her new husband in tow mm-hmm. uh what is her name mona mona okay um <laughs> the hazel delivers some thoughts about roger's uh Roger's mother's love for her son, uh, which leave Roger totally unfazed. Uh, on cue, Don hurls into the umbrella stand, yeah. <laughs> which has got to be a bitch to clean up. I which, mean, which led to a cl- yeah, oh uh, no shit, but it led to an absolute <laughs> clusterfuck. I mean, that was like the candle yeah. that broke the Sterling's back, mm-hmm. or wait, Cause, cause... the straw that broke the Sterling's back. <laughs> now he could probably carry a camel. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, but it's, yeah, so it kind of brings the funeral to a halt, yeah, and then Roger to... takes that moment to call out, uh, his ex, Mona, and her husband. And then he tried to Bruce Wayne them all. <laughs> yeah. Get the fuck out! And... Then he flees! It was riveting! I liked it. I thought it was fun. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know, I, Roger's so used to, when he says get the fuck out, everybody will, because he's normally at work, and he's the head honcho there. Uh-huh. But now, yeah, no, this you're in family company here, buddy. Uh-huh. People don't and listen the other to you thing that is, way, especially Mo- when you've been an absentee for so long. If Mona's mom had died, and this had been two years ago, he absolutely would have brought Jane to that funeral. Oh, yeah, certainly. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's... I, so what do you make of this? I mean, we know later on that Roger kind of has this breakdown when he gets uh, the shoeshine box, but I feel like the cracks are starting to appear even here, right? Sure. I mean, for all he says about his mother's uh, love for him not being anything important uh, or not being based on anything real just because he's her son, uh-huh. uh, I think he doesn't necessarily believe everything he says about that. Hmm. 
I don't know, man. You could write, and people have wrote several books about the problems with masculinity uh, in the modern age and uh, emotional closed-offness. And I just feel like Roger has had a lifetime of playboying and boozing and whoring it up to completely insulate himself from having to think about himself as a person and yeah. what his actions do to affect and 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 how effective he really is at anything and if he's any good or if this is just something you know he's born on on a third base and and uh, has stayed there the whole time uh and this is all all this stuff just blows up in this one moment when he realizes that shit I'm already got one foot in the grave and the other on a banana peel and it's too <laughs> late for me to do some of this self discovery and really figure things out yeah I mean, I yeah, think that's, man, it, that, that he's sincere. He's like, you know, it's like, shit, my life has just been one stupid door that's the same door over and over and over again. And <laughs> now I've got nothing to look forward to but but, but death and loss. Yeah, and I mean, he also, I think, realizes where he says that, like, it's basically a straight path to hell, um, mm -hmm. for him at least. Uh, and it never really changes you that uh, despite his best efforts, he's not going to be able to change himself. Right. Uh, I, th he thought that he had, uh, some sort of epiphany with his LSD trip last season. And while it, it kind of lasted for a few episodes and he was nicer to everyone and he was trying to understand people a little better. It, it seems to have worn off at this point. Well, I think he's, that's lazy. the door shutting behind him. Yeah, and, and he's he's lazy. He did have an epiphany. He did learn several important things about yeah. himself. But doing that is hard work. And like it, even, hasn't, uh, even, it hasn't lasted. Even therapy, which is, by any accounts, hard work, is something he doesn't even take seriously. Yeah. So it's like he is just way from a lifetime of having everything given to him, he doesn't know how to pull himself up by the bootstraps and to fix himself. What's interesting is Don knows how to do that. Like in, in season mm -hmm. four, you really saw him starting to take better care of himself and get healthy. And he did the yep. hard work, and he was almost there. And then he pushed out and hit the eject button with uh, Dr. Miller and went back to – basically went back to sleep. It's also interesting that I always think that Roger is like Don's roadmap. You know, uh -huh. that he's he's just Don's lagged behind him for a couple of years. You know, uh, Roger had the midlife crisis, divorced his wife, married the young hot thing, then cheat, let, cheated on her. Now Don's halfway through that arc while Roger's having this existential crisis that Don mm -hmm. seems like he's kind of encroaching on. So, uh, like, yeah, Roger, then... Roger's the emotional canary in the mine shaft for, for Don. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, backing it all up in the caboose is Pete. <laughs> Coming up on Don, trying yeah. to beat Don. Yeah, yeah. There's like this weird train going he, on. There's another layer of frustration and bullshit is because he can't be Don. He can work as hard as he wants, but <laughs> he just yeah. – he does, he's, it doesn't that greatness is not in him. Yeah, there's that moment um, where he's he's had that affair with the dude on the train's wife, uh, whose name escapes me. But um, he kind of says, why did they get to choose? I don't, with Don, it's not that they get to choose. With Roger, they don't get to choose, right? He's the one choosing yeah. all the time. Yeah. Uh, Pete is not that way. Pete wants to be that way, but he can't be. Yep. Uh, we're a little off topic, so let's keep going. Um, speaking of Pete, him and Ken are taking Don back to his building after uh, 
hurling into the umbrella stand. Um, and they meet up with Jonesy, who's the doorman, and um, Don asks him what he saw when he died. Seems pretty insistent on finding out what it was. And when Jonesy says, I guess there was a light, uh, Don asks if it was like a hot tropical sunshine. Uh, what'd you make of this? Um, I don't know. I feel like he had a w- waking blackout drunk moment because it's hard to imagine the guy that said that thing could then totally be unaware that his ad campaign about the hotel is about death. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Like he was uh-huh. he was blackout drunk but still ambulant because his body's so good at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's it's muscle memory for being so drunk so often. Yeah, yeah. Uh all right. Let's keep going. Betty asks a couple of guys over at the uh flop house if they've seen Sandy. She's pounding the pavement. She is. She's really looking for this girl. And she follows them inside, um, where she finds Sandy's violin on the floor. And when she finds those two guys that she was talking with earlier, they're trying to make goulash. And Betty just lights a cigarette and sticks around to chat. I just want to extend an apology to Jesse's house in Breaking Bad uh, for calling it a flop house. Because now <laughs> I've seen a fucking flop house. Uh-huh. This is the flop house of all flop houses. Yeah, no, I think where Jesse ends up uh, after the Jane stuff, that's a flop house. No, this not compared to house. this. I didn't see anybody pissing in a bucket. I didn't see anybody boiling a pig ass in dirty <laughs> pots using snow. Uh, speaking of boiling pig asses, there's a lot of pig in this show, right? Is that a Betty crack? crack? No, 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 no. I got to take a stand against the body image that you're portraying here, Jesus what Christ. The fuck? I, it wasn't even a, a crack. I, mean, I know we get loose around here, but come on. Get it together. No, uh, no, they've got a pig. Uh, last season, there was a big deal made about the the pig when they invited Peggy's mother over to tell him that Abe was moving in. <laughs> um, that, that, there was another mention of a pig in this episode. Uh, I can't think of what it was, though. You think there's a pork conspiracy there's a poor conspiracy brewing, my friend. Mm. <laughs> uh, when the pork is gone, someone will die. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Dead man's pork. Yep. <laughs> um, all right. So the funeral's over. Uh, Margaret is the last one. Margaret's uh, Roger's daughter. She's the last one left as Roger comes downstairs. And he tries to give her that... Uh, family heirloom the jar of water that has baptized most of the people in the family Mm -hmm. Uh, but she's not really interested i mean she says thank you up front but then obviously she leaves it uh, behind at the end of the scene which is a very Uh, roger thing to do oh certainly yeah why should Um, she value that jar of water more than roger valued his mother's wedding ring right uh it doesn't it seems like maybe uh, Roger has rubbed off on his daughter a little bit, despite his absence. And Roger lacks a self-awareness to make that. I mean, he just feels sorry for himself that his daughter's using him for his wallet. Yeah. Even though he's done nothing but encourage that behavior her whole life. Exactly. It's another door he's stuck walking through. Uh, so, yeah, I guess for the sake of recap, I'll just mention uh, what you kind of hinted to there. Um she asks if there's any inheritance for her when she finds out there isn't any, uh, that it was all given away to the zoo. And I love his crack about the, the will looking like the Noah's, Noah's Ark manifest. manifest. Yeah. <laughs> really funny. Uh, and then she asks Roger if she'll give, if he'll give her husband some money for what I think is a pretty solid investment at this I point. I did right? too. Refrigerated trucks. 
Like, like this sounds like a, this sounds solid, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it sucks that your daughter's using you as the angel investor, uh, mm-hmm. but still, yeah, it sounds like you might make some money on this. Yeah. Um, where are we here? Oh yeah. Uh, so we go back to Don's house, uh, his apartment. And Megan comes home, finds him in bed, feeling terrible. Uh, and she tells him about her day on set and she's basically pretending to be a lying, cheating whore the whole time, mm-hmm. uh, pushes a guy down the stairs, which I find that image funny. I don't know why, but I always find an image of someone getting pushed down the stairs. Hilarious. I guess I'm gonna have to walk behind you and down the stairs. <laughs> Cause I might just want to see, like verify that. Uh huh. Uh-huh. I wonder if this would be funny. Let's see. Uh, she also says that the maid found his lighter in the trash and she gives it back to him. Uh-huh. No, I, uh, I thought, and actually, this part of the episode, I started sweating, thinking that you were right, that maybe Don had to turn a quarter, because they just seem so cute together here, right? Yeah, And then yeah. so far, I, we'd seen couples being happy. Even Betty and fucking Henry were happy, and Peggy and, uh, shit, not Ginsburg, but, uh, what's Peggy's boyfriend? Abe. Then? Abe. Peggy and Abe were happy. Yeah, uh, and you know, Rosin and his wife look very happy. Everybody's looking happy, and I'm like, shit. Maybe that's the theme of this season. I fucking missed it. <laughs> I don't think that's the theme of this season. No. <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm, I'm gonna move on to the village people here. The disgusting uh, pot of shitty goulash that is brewing. Yeah, I'm calling these guys the village people because <laughs> that's where they live. <laughs> uh, they just dropped the other neutron f bomb here, by the way. Right before shit, I missed it. Right before Peggy asked if if marijuana is expensive, which I think, I think that's the first question a person asks who's on the trajectory of eventually smoking weed. <laughs> but that's the first time. Like, if a person asks that question, you're six months away from your first doobie. I'm just saying. Yeah, they want to know how deep it's going to cut them in the yeah. wallet. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Um. So yeah, they're cooking the goulash, and their friends show up. And the really rude to Betty, which... The tough homeless kid shows up. The tough one, yeah. Um, this scene was clunky, uh, I'm all man. for it. I, I, go I, I go for this, it. Be rude to Betty. Uh, yeah, I thought this scene was just clunky. Oh, what? in what way? I just don't think Weiner writes the counterculture very well. Like, hmm. he just throws in weird buzzwords. It's like, like what a... You know, it's like anytime you saw your, your school teachers in high school try to put on a rap skit... And this oh, is like, geez. you're going through the right motions, but this is way far the mark. I mean, when the guy's like, what you don't grok is that we're your trash. And I'm like, Jesus, gro-. I mean, it's just this uh-huh. weird, periody bullshit. Uh, I don't know. I, it just didn't work for me, I didn't think. And they're talking and arguing, bickering about bylaws. It just felt like a parody of beatnik <laughs> culture, hippie culture. Yeah. Um, they do have some pretty salient points about Betty's lifestyle sure. um, and them not liking it as much as she doesn't like it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I mean, obviously this is the spark. This is the reason why she comes home with her hair dyed, uh, because of what she basically learns about the way other people view her at this point. Yeah. And awfully, it obviously hits a nerve with the hair color bottled. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, then she so so. Uh, what's there to this? Her ripping her petticoat. And oh, tetanus! As, what goes around comes around. <laughs> <laughs> she and, wishes tetanus on someone; she'll get it herself. Ah, 
Ah. And then I also thought that when she left, there's a beautiful shot. So she's sitting there in this, like, monochrome except for this giant splash of what it looks like almost red. And do you think that there was any tying in to, of that to the um, uh, PFC Dinklage or whatever his name was talking about how he could paint a room with the uh, 50 caliber machine gun he had? No. Uh, I, I almost, don't know the shot you're talking about. Yeah, like when she walks out of the flop house, it shows her walking out of the scene and it stands a static shot of this doorway framing and it's kind of very monochromatic and dirty. But right there at about head level, there's this giant splash of red. Huh. I don't know no, what I, it I means, um, but it kind of got it, – it, I drew a parallel between that and I'm like, is this representing the, these kids' rejection of you know military life and the draft dodging and all that stuff? I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. It was a curious statement that they're they're casualties in a different way. Like these are lost kids. Yeah, I'm just not sure. All right. Um, Like we said, there are many layers to this show, this episode, and uh, I don't think we'll uncover them all here. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, So Betty, no, I'm sorry. We go back to Abe and Peggy, um, and Abe has brought her dinner and. Her underlings come in. She's working late trying to fix this ad for uh, costs. And her underlings bring her one idea, which is disguised as three different ideas. And she rightfully calls them out on it, uh, says they can't go home uh, until they figure it out and hands them the sandwich. Um, and then she asks Abe how the headphones sound, and she is inspired when he starts totally rocking out. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, good stuff. Good stuff. Um I really like the, the image that they ended up settling on for that ad. That just that crazy dude just rocking out. No, I mean, I mean that, pretty that's, awesome. And again, very Don Draper and how she pulled all these experiences together. Yeah, and yeah. and her dressing down of her underlings very Draperish. I mean that that is definitely she calls them out and says basically what uh, happens here that you just want me to get inspired and come up with the idea that will get you uh get you off the hook uh-huh and that's ultimately what she does um despite having called them and not wanting to do that uh and it, it feels like you said very don drapery because throughout the first couple seasons that's always what we saw him doing right he'd sure he'd just be living life and then he'd come up with these ideas based on something he saw um and betty returns home sally's on the phone i, I want to dub their house uh castle Francistein from here on out <laughs> okay. it might be a happy home but jesus christ it still does look like the dark depressing castle <laughs> the, yeah the, what the, what did don call it i um, can't like what did he call it the adams family mansion or something like that or the monsters have. or was there do you make a monster reference oh i think it was the monsters yeah okay yeah good stuff uh but yeah she goes back to the castle uh Francistein. <laughs> And uh, or Raven, or Raven Francis, which is better. I think Francis Stein rolls off the tongue better. Yeah, for sure, yeah. Uh, Sally's on the phone, and when her mother tries to talk to her, she slams the door in her face. Uh, Sally being a little shit again, but Betty being a horrible parent, so there's that. <laughs> they deserve uh, each other. They do. Betty goes to bed this time without any rape jokes, thankfully. <laughs> and she sees, um, she seems pretty happy. 
yeah. with this life that she supposedly hates so much and has had a realization about. I wrote in my notes, and I quote, Jesus helped me. They seem like a cute couple. <laughs> <laughs> they do. It's it's unsettling knowing that this episode, I mean, in this interview with Matt Weiner, he has basically said as much that this is uh, – Betty is realizing that she's kind of not what people perceive her as at this point. Hmm. So all is not well there, even though it kind of feels like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we go back over to the office uh, where Pete and uh, Pete comes up to Don and he says that there is a meeting later with the guys from Sheridan. <laughs> Don's um, is immediately cancel. It's so <laughs> hilarious. He's back from vacation. He doesn't want to do a damn bit of work. <laughs> oh, no, he doesn't. And Pete's uh, like, fuck you. You literally can't do that. Yeah. It's not an and, option. And Don, to be fair, probably doesn't feel very good at this point, right? I mean, oh, I'm sure. he got really drunk. I just love that this is one word response. Cancel. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Pete won't let him. And Don gives a lighter to Don, or sorry, Dawn, um, and asks her to see if she can get it back to uh, Dinkins' division. If anyone can, the office ninja can. Yes. Um, well, then we go back over to Roger, who's in his shrink office again. Uh, he's complaining about how his ex-wife and daughter treated him at the funeral. Uh, I thought the uh, work at his wallet, like a speed bag comment, was pretty funny. Mm-hmm. And accurate. Uh, and very accurate, yeah. And this is where he kind of goes uh, a little deeper about his mother and says that uh, she loved him in a way that was completely pointless. And she gave him his last new experience, and now he knows that all he has left to do is to lose everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says life will eventually end, and somebody else will get the bill. But he also tells us leads doc- me to believe that he paid for that whole funeral, right? Maybe I don't know. I mean, we we know his fortune is basically quartered from where it was when we first uh, got to know him. But we also it doesn't seem like he's hurting for money. Um, yeah. I just thought it's interesting, but he's like he's still saying that he doesn't feel anything. Like, even yeah. at this low point, he can't summon genuine, authentic grief. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. He I, can summon indig- indignation and bruised ego and anger, but he can't summon grief. Yeah, and I don't totally buy Roger's facade here. I think there is that grief bubbling up under the surface. Oh, yeah, I, don't, I think you're obviously, that's, that's you know. Yeah, um, even though he doesn't want to acknowledge it, so. Uh, Ken shows up to work and we get an awesome scene where he calls out Bob Benson, who's sitting on the couch, uh, tells him stop peddling his catering goods, uh, around the office and at the funeral and all that stuff. As big as a dick as Ben is, I kind of felt bad because Ken rolled so tough on him and it was so brutal. Uh, Uh, Ken has changed a little bit too, hasn't he? Well, yeah, I feel like ever since the Joan thing happened, he's had a little edge to him. Yeah, he doesn't really like these guys very much. He doesn't want to be a part of what's is, going on This here. is the job that pays the bills while at night he transforms into Dave Algonquin and writes beautiful <laughs> stories about quiet desperation in the American dream. <laughs> Disguised as sci-fi novels. <laughs> now, he's done Good with stuff. that. Now he's basically writing – he's ghostwriting Pete's autobiography, I think. <laughs> oh, yuck. Uh, I would totally read that, though. They they should do as a promotional thing an autobiography of Pete. Oh yeah, there's rich mines of rape and child molestation to <laughs> to to uh, exploit there. Uh, Lots yeah. of pathos. 
Um, so after that pretty funny scene, uh, we go back to the meeting, the actual meeting with the Sheridan guys. Um, it really doesn't go as Don planned. He pitches his crazy suicidal ad, and just as it looks like everything is going to explode because they associate it with death, uh, Pete steps in and kind of saves the day by suggesting that even the ad itself is only a jumping off point. Uh, thought him very clever in that scene. Um, can I can I have a confession here? Yeah, go for it. I totally got Don's ad campaign. It made a lot of sense to me as soon as I saw it. I did sure. not. I didn't get the death thing. I'm like, that looks appealing. Shedding your skin and getting into the water and forgetting who you are. Does that mean uh, I'm a psychopath? <laughs> is that what <laughs> is that what the wiener just told me? Okay. I just think it means you haven't seen that movie. Ugh. Because I hadn't seen it either, so I was with you. A star is born. I, that's the other funny yeah. thing is like like everyone else has moved on the conversation. And Roger's like, "A star is born. I contributed." <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> he comes off like Captain America in the Avengers. You know, I got that reference. So, I mean, you have to wonder uh, when we think about Don's ultimate fate in this series. I I'm not entirely sure that Don is going to die at the conclusion of this series. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it might actually be more interesting if he doesn't die. I'm I'm with you, uh, but there's there are a lot of thoughts of death and things in this scene, in particular, that make me wonder about that because I, I, even even the name of the movie, A Star Is Born. I mean, he's talking about being in Hawaii and this jumping off point. When we've had so many references to falling, I mean, even the title credits themselves. Or him fall, yeah. Or him falling. I mean, you've got to wonder, like, this jumping off point, a star is born, his wife is now becoming a star, which happened, like, as as far as we're concerned, happened in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's when she really was recognized for the first time, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, You've got to wonder about that stuff. Totally. It, It seems like they're piling up too many references for it to just be a coincidence totally um a couple other <laughs> uh, go, oh, yeah. go, go ahead i was gonna i was ma- just gonna keep moving on but uh i just wanted to mention um you know one of the great things about oh god who's the beard dude stan stan yeah the whole thing is like did this make you think of suicide he's like of course that's what's so great about it <laughs> stan is stan's probably high as shit during this meeting right oh oh he's got to be right and then it's not like you just turn off being high. And uh, what do you think about dudes every day? What do you think about Roger's statement? He goes, you know, we sold death with Lucky Strike for 25 years. You know how yeah. we ignored it. Is that a statement on his own life that he's basically as he's gotten older that he yes. he has ignored the specter of his own death and now he's being forced to confront it? Oh, totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, much in the same way that. Don forced Lucky Strike to confront it with his article mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, or his letter. Um, ah. We go to the uh, – what were we calling it? Castle uh, – uh, Francistine. Francistine, yes. Uh, where Betty I walks I wish we had some sound indoor. effects. We could pipe in like thunder crashing every every time we said that. <laughs> Castle Frankenstein. I'll, I'll get those ready for next there week. There you go. For sure. Uh, Betty walks to the door to show off her new hairdo. Uh-huh. And this, I could not believe her children's reaction to it. They immediately, <sighs> like, they call her basically a hideous troll. Yeah, I and hate run it. Run out You're of the ugly. room. That's Bobby. He's just he's gone full psycho. 
<laughs> it was shocking to me. I, <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, but I, I totally understand it. She's not the greatest mother. Go Bobby. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then she turns to Henry uh, for kind of validation here. And he doesn't really say what he thinks about it. He just kind of compares her to Elizabeth Taylor. Which is uh, accurate, flattering. It's, you know. But dodging still. A hell of a husband play. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, next scene is a really good one. Uh, it's Giorgio. Roger's shoeshiner has died, and he left Roger a shoeshine kit. And when Roger takes him into his office, he breaks down crying. And Slattery puts in his submission for the top ugly crier on Mad Men. <laughs> really? I didn't know that it was that ugly. It's really? certainly not John Hamm ugly. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's just weird when men cry. Oh, I just... I mean, I and know. I say that as a crier. I'm a man. I'm a I'm a male crier. <laughs> I just don't watch myself when it happens. Yeah. Next time, have that mirror ready. <laughs> oh, that'd be. <laughs> and even... then then it'll be double crying because you realize, oh god, I'm the world's ugliest crier. <laughs> <laughs> Send you into a deep depression. I'll listen. Yeah, I'm gonna watch myself cry when candlelight listening to Adele. <laughs> I think that's what I need to do. That's what I do. <laughs> um. Anyway, so I I thought this was a really moving scene, um, especially after I read TB.com's take on this. Oh, yeah? Um, I'm going to just go ahead and read directly from the article. If you want to go look at it, you can. It's it's actually a good read on the whole episode. Um, But one of the quotes here is uh, about this scene is earlier in the episode, Roger had stated that his mother loved him in some completely pointless way. She adored him simply because he was her son, and while that's actually a very good sentiment for a parent to have toward their children, generally speaking, it didn't bring much comfort to Roger in his current sad headspace. The simple inheritance from his lonely, from his lowly shoeshiner was bigger and more important to him than his parents' money because he had earned it. It was a small symbol of Roger caring for another individual and that other person reciprocating. Well, Which is interesting. I don't know the kind of relationship that they had. I kind of think that's a little off base because I thought what— do. You? So here's what I thought happened. Roger cares for this guy in a purely mercantile fashion. Where's the fu- where's the fucking dude that shines my shoes? Finds okay. out he's died, yeah. and this guy is so lonely and pathetic that the only one that ever called and inquired about him is the guy who just wanted to shoe shined. And Roger's yeah. like, you know, going back to Mona saying, what's your daughter going to say at your funeral? He's like, man, yeah. I've walked through life leaving no impressions like i'm an elf from the tolkien universe and i don't depress i don't sink in the snow i don't bend (laughs) blades of grass and Uh i'm going to pay that price for not caring and not extending myself and not trying and he's going to be giorgio yeah it's going to metaphorically someone's going to call you know wanting a buck or wanting this or that and that's that's going to be the only the only time that someone takes note of his loss his shoe shine kit will be much nicer though (laughs) <laughs> well he's already got gorgios yeah the gorgios or whatever his name is <laughs> gorgios gorgios picture him being a large fat man <laughs> uh yeah no okay i like that reading that's pretty good well thank you uh moving on don and megan are having a new year's fondue party i wanted Dr. to Rosen. be at that fucking party why? Oh, I looked. I mean, because it is fondue and fine, fine drinks, and you're looking at Linda Cardellini, aren't you? Yeah, and that too. 
<laughs> well, so is Don, apparently, but we don't find that out yet. Everything still seems nice and rosy between them right now, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And I, mean, I this, got, this also put in my fooled. notes is like, are all the wives in this, and this is before I knew. I said, are all the wives in this building fucking Don or what? Because I felt like that yes. one girl aggressively came after him. Oh, completely. The blonde one? Yeah, she's like yeah, wanting absolutely. to start a key party right now, you know? But yeah, I'm surprised they didn't like have Megan catch on with that stuff. Yeah, everybody's drunk and eating cheese. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> She's full of cheese. And her, yeah. her husband launched right into this long-winded story about how funny gays are, I guess. That's another one of those breathtaking, wow. <laughs> I can't believe, yeah. Yeah. It's the 60s. It's the 60s. Um, but yeah, Dr. Rosen is also there with his wife, uh, who is Linda Cardellini. Um, although I did learn a new, my, my vocabulary got increased. I'd never heard assignation. I had to look it up. It's, it's a learned word for an appointment or meeting between lovers, a tryst. Because the guy said, uh, you know, apparently this department store's bathroom had been known for a, the assignations that took place. Like, what the Mm -hmm. fuck? Where did so he put the emphasis they, they, on that they, word? They, they, ki- they kill the head. Oh, are you mis- are you accusing me of mispronouncing <laughs> this word, Jim? No, Fuck I'm you. not. I was, I was I making don't a terrible that. joke about the word starting with ass. Oh. Never oh. mind. Is it still the 60s? <laughs> Fair enough. You can cast a loan from here. I'm boycotting. <laughs> uh, so I would boycott the very next move um, at any party. They bust out the slides of their trip to Hawaii. Oh, gee. I, I was on Facebook, and I'm like, whoa, did this shit really happen? Oh, yeah, man. People used to subject each other to vacate. I feel like this happens on Facebook now, and people just fucking block and ignore, right? Sure, sure, yeah. Nobody, like, I would leave uh, if someone sit there and like, hey, come look at these pictures I just took on my vacation. Oh, God. You would leave? I think so. That's that's a bridge <laughs> too far, man. This is 2013. Would you leave politely, Nobody or would got you time for that. you're leaving? No, I just get up and leave. <laughs> the host has made their disrespect for my person abundantly clear. Why would I offer them any courtesy? <laughs> Fair enough. It's like if, if the guy punched me in the face, I wouldn't be like, I'm going to take my leave now, sir. I just get up and you know, yeah. belt him one. Well, drunken, flirty blonde wants to uh, go to Hawaii, so yeah. that's what they do. Hoping uh, to see a shirtless down. Holy shit, I can't believe how long this is taking. I know. Uh, let's, let's keep going. Yep. Peggy and Stan are on the phone. They're both working late. Um, Stan goes to grab coffee, and Ted shows up in Peggy's office. Uh, sh- she shows him the new idea for costs, and he loves it. He's all about it. I am too. I love that image. It's hilarious. Uh, when Ted leaves, Stan taunts Peggy by the speakerphone saying he likes you. Uh, Which, very rapid. I, Better boss, yeah. Don or, te- or Teddy. Uh, are we talking more effective? Yes. Uh, I think Don's pretty effective, man. I, I feel think like he would certainly be the better boss to work for. I feel like Don's the drill sergeant that whips you in shape. Teddy is the lieutenant that you actually want in the field with you. Oh, gotcha. once once you've once you've been battle hardened and tested, and you're tired of yeah, having your so, balls broke all the fucking time. So Don is like David Schwimmer in Band of Brothers. Yes, exactly. That's exactly. And then you got the guy forward. under him who's supposed to actually be cool with the troops. Yeah. Then you got Captain Winters. Yes. Good who shockingly turns out to be a traitor to America. 
years what? later, okay. all those years later, working for Al Qaeda the whole time. <laughs> all right. Um, we go back to uh, the fondue party where the Rosens are the only ones left. Dr. Rosen gets a call for emergency surgery. And since it's snowing after midnight, he's not likely to get a cab. Instead, uh, he and Don go down to the storage room to get skis. And um, here's where we kind of have another uh, love-in with these two guys. Don asks what it's like to have a life uh, in his hands like that. And Dr. Rosen says it's a privilege and an honor. Um, He also says that Don gets paid to think about things that people don't want to think about. And he gets paid not to think about them. Mm. Uh, Which... I feel like Roger is much more like Dr. Rosen here. <laughs> He's definitely not thinking about them. But also, um, the people will do anything to alleviate their anxiety. That's Don's yes. mission statement, right? Absolutely. Um, and I, Wiener, in that interview, said that that was a very important statement for this season as well. But we end it, you know... Uh, so, it, go ahead. I mean... Okay. Rosen gets on his skis and he leaves while Don watches him from the doorway. Yep. Uh, in this frozen circle of hell that you're talking about. Yep. And so literally, he's in the frozen hell of New York. Figuratively, uh-huh. he creeps up into Doc Rosen's wife's bed, lays yep. her the Whitman pipe, and is stuck metaphorically <laughs> in this hell that he can't get out of. It, even though he wants to, and she knows that he wants to, and that's not a problem. No. Um, for her. She understands that, but something about Don um, and this idea of, you know, the doors you go through but don't change you, mm-hmm. the Rogers going on about, uh, very much applied to Don as well. But it's interesting because I feel like this is some character growth because he's now saying, I want to stop doing this, where in other seasons he's gone to his mistress and said, let's just run away. And they're like, what the fuck? You've got a wife and kids. We, I mean, they're more aware of his situation yeah. than he is. He's actually catching up to that awareness. What that's will, a good point, but he's not acting on it, right? No, but that's, that's you got to, I don't know. There's this poem about recovery that I mentioned on Facebook about, um, you know, it's, it's the paraphrased is versions. Like a person says, I walk down the street I fall in this dark hole. It's scary. I don't know how to get out. It takes me forever. I finally climb out. I walk down the street. I fall in the hole. It's dark. It's scary. I remember how to get out. I climb out faster. You know, I walk down the street. Walk down the street. I walk around the hole. And then the final chapter of the story is... Yeah, it's Groundhog Day. I I walk down the street. Or I walk down a different street. It's like you don't know what you need to know to, to help yourself get out of these cycles until you go through them enough times. Sure. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, totally. I've seen Groundhog's Day, so I'm good with that. <laughs> <laughs> I, yes, I'm that actually works not too. joking. That's, that works, too. The, the principle is there. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, but, yes, that it was also meant to kind of be a joke. Uh, so then Don goes home, uh, gets into bed with Megan. She kisses him and wishes him a happy new year. Uh, and the, fitting, fitting that this episode ends on the new year. Um, because once again, you can go back to the doorway, um, that he's walking through. This is another year. Is Don going to change? And it's, um, it's poignant. It's a door that's opening. It's the previous one closing behind him. Right. And it's, it's, it's awful. I mean, they're, again, they're still so cute together, but now instead of being endearing, it's gross and disgusting because she, yes. I mean, look how much in love this little girl is with him. 
Yeah. I mean, she adores this man, and it's awful. It's awful what's happening. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Um, so we're almost to two hours here. Uh, that's the end of the recap. Uh, I don't think I have anything more to say about this episode. Uh, do you? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay. Uh, then maybe we should do an outro and try to get to some emails real quick. Okie doke. Um, shoot. I don't have my canned. I don't have my can. Let's, let's go ahead and do the feedback. I'll do the promo stuff when, when I look it up. For some reason I, I lost my canned promo. Okay. Uh, then let's go straight to, uh, Marcelina from Poland. Uh, and I have not read through these yet because, uh, I've been very busy, and watching a two-hour episode three times is a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, and geez, Louise, I've already done a two-hour podcast tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to try to uh, skim these emails and, and not make them take too long. Um, Marcelina says that he or she, I assume it's a he, was very uh, sadly disappointed with this episode. He said, even a weak episode of Mad Men is still better than a good episode of most shows, but still... Uh, and then he starts with the good bits. The facial hair was hilarious. Uh, Roger and Peggy were also hilarious um, and awesome. It spoke volumes of Roger's character when he did not seem to feel anything after his mother died, but broke down in tears when he received the box of his deceased shoe mate, shine man. Uh, the only person that seemed to be really missing at his mother's funeral. Um, that he seemed to be really missing at his mother's funeral. Yeah, I guess <laughs> shoe shine guy wasn't there to shine Roger's funeral shoes either. <laughs> Um, he says, Roger appears to be afloat reacting to things that seem unimportant at first while not being touched by those things that are important. The outburst was the first sign of him feeling anything, a sign that tragically and ironically, Roger knows that it won't get better from here on. It will just be downward spiral that even when he will feel something, those feelings won't be good ones. Uh, yes, he certainly has a lot to lose. Uh, he says, while Roger is on a downward spiral, Peggy is the, on one that goes up. She's confident, hardworking as ever, and finally appreciated. To me, Peggy is undergoing a transformation into Don, which we kind of talked about. Uh, the work Don, <clears throat> sorry, the work Don we knew from the first seasons, the Don that will have brilliant ideas and overcome every problem that comes along his way, uh, not afraid to tell, of telling the client that the client is wrong when he is wrong. Uh, I think it is especially her confidence that was shown here. She seems to, she seems to feel a strong player in the office. Ah, hmm. uh, the, None the of this Polish to English translation here. I've I've been I've been sipping uh, Canadian Club, and I'm pretty punchy. I'm, <laughs> I'm not getting any of this. Well, I'm I'm not reading it fairly. Uh, I'm not reading it extraordinarily well, and it's also uh, I'm convinced it's written in Polish because <laughs> I because I can barely a Polak read it. joke. Been... Really, Jim? We lost a whole country. No, just now. no, get out of here. That wasn't a Polak joke. That was a Gino being drunk joke or G- <laughs> Jim being drunk joke. What's the difference? I don't know. <laughs> uh, speaking of upward spirals, Megan seems to be on one as well. She's acting more and uh, even getting fans. Is looking quite bri- bright for Miss Draper. Uh, meanwhile, Don is just like Roger on his way down. The bad pitch and the floating clothes that remind of the client of suicide are a clear indicator, and that is where the premiere got really weak. We get it. Don is depressed again. He's drinking again, whoring around again. Sure, this underlines the contrast between him and Megan. 
Um, the contrast between the road the women seem to take in this episode and the road the men, uh, the road of the men. But did we really need to see that much screen time for this? Huh. Is the entire scene in Hawaii necessary? I'm uh, starting to doubt says, my whole fanhood. This is really, says, <laughs> in his opinion, not really. Um, yes, Don is the man, uh, the main protagonist of the show. But all I could think of was, come on, suck it up, you sissy. I want to see more Peggy, Roger, Joan, uh, or even Betty, because I've seen Don like this too many times. Yeah. Uh, that's, uh, I mean, I certainly sympathize with that idea of, like, we've seen this before. Yeah. Or is, uh, is, but at the same time, I think that's the point, right? I don't know, man, because, like, yeah, I, I didn't have a problem this episode, but when I hear Kim say what she said in the beginning of the episode, and Kimberly, and when I hear... Marcelina say this stuff. I'm wondering, shit, am I missing a boat? Am I so mesmerized by <laughs> the dialogue and how and how kind of compelling it is just to watch? I mean, shit, I watched John Hamm say nothing for eight and a half minutes uh-huh. and couldn't tear my eyes away. Am I, you know, in, 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 ensnared by all this stuff that I can't get over how this is just basically blowing up the Death Star too? Maybe. That this is like thematically and plot wise a retread. I don't know. I'm not saying I agree with that. I'm just saying. I think the thing that makes it different here is what you talked about earlier, um, just a few minutes ago. The realization that Don is having. Yeah, I I think if we were to see Don Horig around and not acknowledging that he wants to change, yes, it would be a retread. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm 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 still on your side with this. I think it was a good episode. Um, Tyler in Nashville says, I'm curious to hear your analysis of the current state of Don and Megan's relationship. Um, I think we did that pretty well. Uh, a few things occurred to me today. Roger was speaking to his therapist about how life was supposed to be full of experiences that change you and who you are. But in reality, it's all just the same things over and over again. This seems to be an analog for how Don sees marriage because he's starting to do the same things in his marriage with Megan that led him astray in his marriage with Betty. Uh, and it seemed... Uh, apparent that Don's attachment or sorry, seemed apparent that Don's statement, I want to stop doing this at the end of the episode, summed up his feelings of disappointment about his marriage, which he thought for some reason was going to be different than his marriage to Betty. Uh, I think he may even be coming to resent Megan because he may have rationalized his disappointment to a degree by blaming it on her. Uh, he says, notice that she has become the villain on her soap opera, which may represent Don's soon to come feelings about her. I actually like that. Yeah. That's an interesting take how um, Megan's characters that she plays may uh, read into what her character is becoming to Don. Wasn't there some kind of – that reminds me of like a storyline of last year that we thought mm-hmm. somehow that Megan was an actress and that that was going to be yeah something that plays in a relationship. I don't think it really panned out, but maybe there's still some echoes of that here. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, let's see. Wendy says, um, I enjoyed the season premiere, but I always feel like I'm missing the subtext. I'm definitely looking forward to the bald move. Happy hour for you to clarify it for me. Well, I hope we did. I hope you have four or five commutes worth of information because <laughs> this is a marathon. Yeah. Uh, she definitely took issue with the, uh, with Betty's creepy joking. Uh, I don't blame her at all. And she says, I don't know why Don would cheat on Megan. She's so beautiful and young. Agreed. Yeah, that's not, that's never why, that's never really why guys cheat. Yeah. Uh, I think it was actually, 
pretty well laid out in last season where they said they're just her only crime is being familiar. Mm. Yep. Uh, I forget who said that last season. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, Jim A writes in. I swear this is not me. (laughs) Um, He just wanted to talk about the lighter um, and the inscription on it that says life. We often have to do things that are just not our bag, which we totally neglected to talk about. Um, and then he reminds us that in season one, episode 12, Dick Whippin, Wickman, blah, Dick Whitman <laughs> drops the lighter uh, in gasoline and kills Don Draper in Korea. We did um, hit that, though. We did hit that. But w- do you have any kind of take on the inscription on the lighter? Because, frankly, I was uh, a little befuddled by that. Honestly, I if it con- turns out to be anything, we'll have to find out later. Because as far as I know, that's just a stupid 70s saying. <laughs> okay. It's not my bag, baby. Fair enough. Um, Joseph writes in. He's got a problem with uh, Mr. Weiner. He says, Dear Mr. Weiner, please do not make me have to reread the Divine Comedy to then correlate it to Don's actions and occurring events. No shit. And then he says, Ugh, I know I will have to, though. <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling the same way. Maybe I can get the Cliff Notes version or the Spark Notes or whatever the hell the kids are using nowadays. There you go. He also says, I will be damned to believe we have, uh, we've seen the last of the doorman heart attack issue. Whether you, uh, Wiener, you better not be pulling a bad F you to fans with the cerebral coma dream. Cerebral coma dream. I don't know. I'm guessing this is like, you know, it's, it's an all a dream type of episode. Oh no. Um, like Dick, so, Dick Whitman wakes up in his army cot back in Korea and none of this ever happened. Yeah, uh, Wiener actually addressed that in that interview. He said that the intro um, with the heart attack was actually meant to make you think that this was, like, what Don was seeing during his death or whatever, Mm -hmm. lying on the floor of that uh, hotel or of his apartment, but uh, that that is not actually what happened. (laughs) Mm. Uh, This is not something out of the timeline, so don't worry about it. Um. Mike from Virginia says, I can't help think that Don reading the Inferno is setting up a framework or theme for the whole season. I mean, who reads 14th century Italian lyrical poetry on the beach in Hawaii? Uh, Maybe if a mistress gave it to me, I would. I don't know. Yeah. If the hot chick from Freaks and Geeks tells you to read it, you're going to fucking read it. That is a ball. (laughs) uh, Let's say it's something else different. Don's ballsy with his cheating. He's reading his mistress's book right beside... Yeah. The current Mrs. Draper, he's fucking a girl on the floor below. I mean, talking about not shitting where you live or sleep. Yeah. He's violating. I mean, it's almost like he's wanting to get caught on some level. Maybe. I mean, that would would that force him to stop <laughs> at least for a while? I don't know. It might not. I don't know. Uh, anyway, Mike goes on. He says, I happen to be in the middle of reading it now. Uh, and Don narrates from the very first canto which i'm not familiar with poetry i'm assuming that's a poetry term mm-hmm. uh, where dante finds that he has lost his way of the path to true salvation and finds himself in a dark wood uh, his path back to salvation is blocked by three beasts and that that represent immodest desires violence and fraud sound a Holy lot like don right it's like the, <laughs> yeah. it's the full draper package it is uh he says dante then has to descend through the various circles of hell each of which represents a different type of of sin or sinner, many of which have been or likely will be portrayed in the show by various characters. He also sees the punishments. Uh, and then he says, just saw the last scene. 
Don banging his friend's wife, immodest desires slash fraud. And when she asks what he wants this year, he says, not this. Like he is trying to get back to the true path, but can't overcome his own demons. Uh, Also, we learn why he's reading in the first place, because Velma from Scooby-Doo asked him to. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, she also played Velma. Uh, He says, anyway, I could be reading too much into this. I don't think you are, man. I think that's where we're going with this. Yeah, it's going to be a lot more this season. Yeah. Because that's the other great thing about a Madden season is this is just the beginning. Like, you know, you think about where we were at in season five, uh, episode 501, where we got up to around 509. I mean, layers on top of layers on top of layers. So, <laughs> yeah. Strap it sure. in. Uh, speaking of layers on layers, uh, there are several emails left, but they're very long and we are very long on time. So, you don't want to just keep uh, going? No, Shit, unfortunately, man. we got to cut them. Really? We've got to, man. Otherwise, I'm going to be up until 3 a.m. trying to edit this thing. All right, all right, all right. I, it is it is apologies long. we if we don't get a ton of emails next week i will definitely include these last ones in there yeah i had a couple of good ones on uh facebook i wanted to read too uh one are they of, short like real short they're facebook messages so yeah, okay so yeah one i want to read from the captain albano uh she says don um she mentioned something that I just – I actually probably stole this from her. She says, Don returned to bad Don and banging outside a marital bed is something we've seen already. So this downstairs dalliance better be different. Uh, she continues to say – oh, freaking Christ. I somehow hovered over her name and now her giant portrait <laughs> is covering her comment. I don't think <laughs> Facebook wants me to do this. Okay. Uh, she goes, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it's geographically the closest to home that Donna strayed. Much like Beatrice offered heavenly salvation to Dante, perhaps the downstairs neighbor is a personal salvation for Don, who's figuratively being killed and literally being silenced by his marital life. This latest love affair offers a return to the true Don, whatever that really means. That's a good question. We don't really know who the fuck Don is. Like, yeah. that This is truly his Superman alter ego that he mm-hmm. just never takes off. Um, Peggy and uh, Roger are fascinating to watch. Didn't like the way Harry practically knocked Joan over on his way to upstairs office. Is that a micro <laughs> yeah. signal of macro disrespect? Betty's Chekhov's torn shoulder was interesting. Wonder if she'll unravel further this season. And what was with Ken's hmm. dissing of the ambitious guy in accounting, Ben? Perhaps it is an old school rejection of an 80s power hungry prototype. Anyone else see Megan wearing a very Betty looking house coat in the next episode preview? It serves as armor for Betty. Wonder what it means for Megan. So that's something like I had a couple more, but they're even they're kind of long. So if you're throwing in the towel, uh, let me kick at the promo. Towel thrown. What? Towel thrown. I'm towel throwing in the towel. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, been a long night. Uh, so we are part of the Bald Move Network. You can find all of our content at baldmove.com, including our full coverage of The Walking Dead, Game of Thrones, Justified, Breaking Bad, Downton Abbey, and, of course, Mad Men. And if you're just now joining us from last year, we've grown into an empire. Uh, we've got a new affiliate out of Seattle, the Personal Arrogance Crew. This week they talk about summer movie time, Disney Infinity, and Russian mad scientist billionaires, and also The Because Show, three talented women out of Los Angeles – uh, talking this week about uh, giving advice on online dating, getting over your ex, uh, and uh, one that I was interested in, they're talking about a new documentary called Room 237, which is an analysis of Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, mm-hmm. uh, which sounds right up my alley. 
And Tom and Kelly, who cover uh, Up Yours Downstairs, the Downton Abbey podcast, are starting on Mr. Selfridge, which is another HBO, I believe, miniseries, or maybe it's a PBS miniseries. Yeah. Um, that starring is cov- Jeremy Piven. Weird. Starring Jeremy Piven playing a Brit. Is he British? Is he a limey? No, no, he's definitely not. Although oh, no, he's, I, he's actually an American. That's the whole deal. And he's yeah. running this English department store, right? So oh, I don't know anything about the show. I, I heard Steppenwall talking about it. So they're jumping in with both feet on that, or I guess all four feet. Um, as far as helping us, we always appreciate your ratings and reviews on iTunes. It's the single biggest thing that drives traffic to our cast. Please, please, please go over if you got iTunes installed and give us a couple stars. Uh, you can also use our Amazon affiliate link at amazon.baldmove.com or clicking on our handy banner at the top of baldmove.com. What that does is anything you buy, and if you're shopping on Amazon anyway, what's it going to hurt? It's not going to cost you any money. It doesn't add into your shipping and handling. It just gets us a tiny cut out of Amazon's profit. What's wrong with that? And finally, if you've got a friend that is into Mad Men at work or in your family or your friend circle or likes quality television in general, Turn them on to baldmove.com. We'd love to have them on board. You can send us feedback at madmen at baldmove.com. Hopefully we will not ignore it next time. Uh, you can <laughs> join in our live Facebook uh, th- uh, viewing threads, viewing parties at uh, baldmove.com. Or, sorry, facebook.com slash baldmove. And get in on Jim's live tweets at twitter.com at baldmove. I think that's it. I think I covered it. All right. We have no spoiler section because Weiner is a fucking spoiler Nazi. (laughs) Oh, we could break down the next time on. It's like a freaking (laughs) high school freshman turned it in for their movie trailer. Yeah, man. I love it. I love it. It's like their work's performance art. Cut. Quote, cut. Quote, cut. It's like it's totally worthless, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I find that hilarious. Anyway, congratulations. You made it through the most epic bald move podcast ever recorded. Uh, yeah, I feel like I we should give a medal or a lighter or something. We should engraved lighters for anyone who can write in and request one. Sometimes you have to do things that aren't your bag, like record a two and a half hour podcast. <laughs> and maybe that's our our next product on the store: a lighter that has engraved on it. I made it through season six <laughs> premiere, six oh one episode of uh, the Happy Hour. Yeah. Anyway, thanks everybody for listening. Until next time, I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. Good night. Thank you.